0: molly from near philadelphia i'm sina from ohio and this is backlist and chill where we two of us talk about old books that most of them nobody's heard of but some of them (laughs) people have and then we drink about it and talk this is correct i do think that just
1: purely by search terms like people will find us when we're talking about the thing that they like. So I don't think there's anything that we talk about that like nobody's ever heard of. Yeah, that's fair. It's like funny how we like gain
0: and lose people when we do different
1: seasons.
0: Yeah. It's very interesting to me. It's it's always interesting when it's like, oh we're doing someone people have heard of and so now people are chatting with us on Twitter. And then we move on and someone else will come back and you're like, oh, hey, what's up? <laughs> right.
1: You're like, oh, we're like moving that. back to the thing that you like. So you're back again. Hello.
0: Yeah. And, and that is absolutely totally fine because you and I, we're always here.
1: We have eclectic taste. <laughs> um, we don't actually have eclectic tastes. Like, I feel like this is all pretty firmly in the same family. But anyway.
0: <sighs> but yeah. Hello. Welcome to the people who are here. We are in season 10 in episode three of the the Return to the Den of Shadows series mm-hmm. by Amelia Atwater-Rhodes. This book is called Poison Tree.
1: Yay, Poison Tree. We're almost through. Ollie, yeah. what are you drinking on this, our penultimate episode?
0: So today, y- you and I have spent a long time chatting about this book, more so than mm-hmm. other ones where we normally chat a little bit. And I brought up that I don't know what to fucking call a drink, and I had to think about it so that I could decide what I wanted to make. Ultimately, I decided that I was going to make a tiger eyes, uh-huh. which is the working title of this book, because that's what mm-hmm. I worked on. That's the book I know, or rather the story that I know. Um, so I'm defiantly making <laughs> this, this drink <laughs> called a tiger eyes. You're rolling back to <laughs> previous iterations. Yeah, Uh, so what we've got going on here is I did the Wollersheim dance hall uh, absinthe, the absinthe blanche that my friend Sov gave me a while back. Mm -hmm. And then I made myself some simple syrup with lemon and I made some stash brand because that's what I had. Lemon ginger tea. I iced it and then I made a big old fucking pot. So it's like a lemon ginger with just a very light hint of licorice. Put it over ice, and it's been quenchy.
1: That sounds really good. That sounds very interesting. I love that you make so many of your stuff, your drinks with tea.
0: Yeah, it was, I was going to do green tea because I was kind of pissed about a particular scene where green uh-huh. tea got mentioned. And yeah. then I was like, oh, wait, I've got lemon ginger, and I'll just do that. Making drinks with tea is is really fun. And I just, I'm a big fan of, Drinking tea in the warmer weather when it's, you know, making iced tea when in the warmer weather and then drinking tea or drinking hot tea in the cold. So it's really good. I definitely enjoy that. And I recommend that people just fucking try out making tea and then icing it and put some alcohol in it. It's good. <laughs> I believe it. And it's probably way healthier than like most other mixed drinks. <laughs> right. We're like, And then I pour a bunch of pineapple and cranberry juice and orange. Mm-hmm. And while mm-hmm. that's delicious, this is quenchy. Right. And you're like, and
1: then I pour like three cups of sugar in it and then some fucking sweet and sour. And now you're just drinking sugar. Yeah, right.
0: It's basically pure sugar. Like the worst I've got going on here is my simple syrup that I made myself. And then of course, you know, like alcohol. But other than that, it's just like cold and delicious. I'm glad.
1: I'm glad you got you got a good drink going
0: on. Your tiger's Yeah. Man. It's a nice like light yellow color too. Like a yellowy brown. She you wouldn't think sounds like a good thing you want to drink. It doesn't look like pee. <laughs> Just like a tea color.
1: What do you got? I actually was also going to drink a tiger's eye. <gasps> I love this. this is, did you? No. So like all of the tiger eye recipes I found included some stuff that I didn't want to have to go out and buy. Oh, uh, okay. I was going to say it would be the first time we drank the same thing. It almost happened uh, if only tiger's eye had fewer dumb ingredients. So instead, I made a uh, sparkling tiger, Ooh. which is uh, orange liqueur, tangerine juice, mm. and sparkling wine. How does it taste? It sounds good. Uh, real good. You know me. Any excuse to just drink a bottle of wine, I'm there. <laughs> and orange juice. And mm-hmm. orange juice. Yeah, I mean, it does genuinely just like, taste like orange wine. Uh, it tastes like something that you would give an alcoholic child. Oh, boy. pretty
0: good. Good. So both of us are drinking drinks that are, like, not tasting like alcohol, and so therefore are dangerous, I would say?
1: Yes. I, after finishing editing Token of Darkness, I am acutely aware that I should not drink as much.
0: So. You were very drunk last episode.
1: I was a little bit, and it was very annoying to edit, so I'm going to try not to do
0: that this time. Oh, well. wow. I'm glad that you're thinking about future Senna.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, uh, well, these drinks both sound great. Um, I'm so glad I have a huge fucking pot of it, and I brought, like, more ice so I can just sit here. I and love a fucking southern belle just drinking my my iced tea all, <laughs> all episode.
1: Literally exactly what I was picturing. You with your laptop on a porch. Big old fan.
0: I've got a sun hat on and everything.
1: Definitely some white lace going on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely.
0: I'm down in the Louisiana bayou. <laughs> <sighs> okay. You ready to talk about the book? Yes. What What's next? You do the, the blurb? blurb. You can We're going to talk about the blurb. There's the one that's on the book, mm-hmm. and I'm going to read that one. And then I will read the short-ass one on the Goodreads. Oh, okay. Cool, cool, cool. Let's do it. Once she thought she knew who she was and who her father demanded she become. Now she is called. Wait, hold on. Before I start this, how do you say their names? I Googled it because oh. I wanted to
1: have a reference. Uh, the only voice clip that I could find was uh,
0: Surik, and it is a boy's name. <laughs> Sarik, you said? Sarik. Sarik. All right. Um, I've only ever heard it pronounced Surik. I'm not surprised. That is what you would think. Okay. So I'm going to, just so you know, I'm your. When you say Sadiq, I will understand. When I say Sariq, you will understand. Um, audience, now you know that there's two versions of that. How do you say the other gal's name?
1: Oh, Elysia?
0: Okay, I, I say Alicia, Like, you know, Full Metal Alchemist. Alicia. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. Do you want to know how it's pronounced? Do I? Do you? I
1: feel like the way you say that, that I don't. Because <laughs> I say Elysia,
0: right? Yeah, that's how it's spelled. Right. It's pronounced Alyssa. Fuck off. Thank you.
1: No, no. Mm-hmm.
0: Then just spell it like just, Alyssa. Just make that I an S, and I would know it's Alyssa. I. Wh- but, there's, but there's, there's an, an I. A. Yeah. It's A L Y S I A. I could understand Alicia. Sure. Even though Alicia is usually spelled with you know a C. Fine. Mm-hmm. Alicia. Mhm. Alyssa. No. no, no. This
1: is this is teenage hubris gone too
0: far. <laughs> you don't get to decide that that fucking a dis that fucking I disappears. It's no, you don't. Not Alyssa.
1: You you don't get to just put a Y in it, and that gives you the license to pronounce it however the fuck you <laughs> want. I'm taking a stand here and now. Thank you. You don't get to do that.
0: Yeah. No. I'm so glad that at uh, your outrage cuz I <laughs> had this outrage quite a bit while so, doing
1: it. This is so upsetting. Mm-hmm. This is this is set. This is <laughs> All of the other names, where it's been like, no, you just pronounce it how the letters sound. Man, come uh, on.
0: There was something in uh, one of the stuff we were looking at where it was like, my editor couldn't understand how a nickname of Jamie came from Jacqueline. It's like, yeah, because it'd be Jackie. Yeah, right? Because it doesn't. That's how. It doesn't Jamie happen. doesn't come from that. There's no M. Like, this isn't Richard and Dick. You can't just decide. (laughs) You can't. You can't. There are rules in place for a reason. Like, unless you give me the reason of when I was younger, I started calling myself Jamie, even though my name is Jacqueline, at which point, fuck you, just make her name Jamie.
1: Right, my middle name, even. I (laughs) would accept that. Like, I don't like my first name. I go by my middle name. Sure. fine. Fine.
0: Fine. But you can't say... My editor didn't understand. Of course not. No one would understand that. <sighs> so upsetting. I'm Very breathe. upsetting. breathe through it. Uh, now that I've vented about the way the names are pronounced. Once, she thought she knew who she was and who her father demanded she become. Now she's called Sarik, and though her life is supposed to be her own, she is still living in fear. She has become a mediator at the Haven No. 4 location, run by Single Earth, giving aid to those caught between two worlds. One day, a stranger, someone like her, who just cannot be who she pretends to be, comes to join the mediation group. Alicia tells herself that she has put her days as a mercenary for the brutal Bruja guilds behind her. She's been on the run for two years, with a two million dollar price on her head, but her past keeps interfering with her attempts to start a new life. A human among throngs of vampires, witches, shapeshifters, and tristes, Alicia has always been determined to prove herself more than a mere mortal. Will becoming a member of Single Earth allow her to finally put her past behind her? On a stormy night, three bolts are shot by someone who knows their way around a crossbow. Many are suspect, all are affected, and both Sarik and Alicia must grapple with the impact and determine what price must be paid. In Poison Tree, Amelia Water Rhodes Roads offers a thrilling tale about the dark, rich realm where real life and the over- otherworldly intertwine. Hmm. So that's what's on the book, on the Mm -hmm. the inside flapjacket. Here's the one from Goodreads. The rich stew of the author's creations, single earth, vampires, shapeshifters, tree stays, the Bruja guilds, are at full boil here in the story of two 20-ish young women trying to outrun their very different pasts and figure out where they fit in and who they might become. Each has landed in a more normal place, and each wonders if like a tattoo that can't be covered up they can ever really fit into normal.
1: What the fuck is that? Thank you. Like a tattoo that can't be who wrote that? Who, who can't cover up a tattoo? I mean well, let me <laughs> google 5 minute crafts I'll show you how to do it. Right
0: this is a bad metaphor blurb writer that is not the author
1: it's also it's like song lyric blurbs like that feels like something like like a tattoo it can't, can't cover up. up you'll always be with like that's <laughs> that's unnecessary poetic license
0: yeah it's like the rest of this was just very like kind of straightforward and then it's like little bit of poetry like no <laughs> Unnecessary. Also, the stew part was also
1: very weird. That's a weird metaphor to use for this book that you're trying to sell. We're going from food
0: to tattoos, and I'm just not following. I'm not following any part of this. (laughs) So that's the Goodreads one. Yeah, it's bad. That's a bad blurb, Jim.
1: (laughs) I don't know. The first blurb was like meh. It was convoluted, but so is the book. Yeah, I don't know how you would communicate this book in a blurb and I guess that's
0: as good as it gets. Yeah. I look at this blurb and go, you're trying to <laughs> make <laughs> try some it. sense of this. You
1: try it, baby. I see you.
0: <laughs> I see you. I feel like I can't even blame the fucking blurb writer on this one. No, it's a lot. Yeah. The, of course, biggest problem with like the book itself is in the fucking blurb though, where it's like, talking about the the bolts hitting people and everyone's being suspect and grappling with the impact and determining what price must be paid like once you've read the book once which both of us have Mm -hmm. all of the tension all of the information it all just fucking goes out it all feels like lies i
1: know we have a lot to talk about this one from a meta perspective I do want to talk
0: about that particularly because I read this twice this week. Yes. Yeah. I wish I'd had time to read it a second time, honestly. I, mm, mm, mm. It's Not rough. because I want to read it a second <laughs> time, but, but
1: because... But you need it. You do need to. like Yeah. But yeah, they were completely different experiences and neither of them were good. So... <laughs> <laughs> it, it The book does definitely change, but like,
0: doesn't change in a good way. So... It just becomes... Less understandable. <sighs> Do you want to talk about the cover? Sure. So, this
1: cover. Hey, guess what? It's bad. <laughs> yeah. Shock.
0: Good job. Good job talking about the cover.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the end. No. Um. It is a very simple composition. It is a head and shoulders shot of Sirik staring straight on at the camera. With a trademark Den of Shadows dead tree behind her. I noticed that last night.
0: <laughs> this new den fucking tree with the fucking crow. <laughs> it, is, it makes a cameo
1: in every cover.
2: Oh my god.
1: And behind her is a trademark Den of Shadows boring gray sky. Mm-hmm. This cover is the color of mud. Yeah. There's no like visual interest it's just so drab so rick is obviously a woman of color i think they're sort of vague about whether or not she is southeast asian or
0: indian oh no no fucking this is this drove me up a very tiny wall because of course it was you know 10 years ago so i'm like what else are you gonna say But the fact that it's like she's described as of african and asian descent and i laughed it's like yeah they're of you know north american and european descent like what the fuck <laughs> does that look like right i don't it's very non
1: specific
0: yeah it's just i don't know tigers are from africa and asia yeah i honestly had always assumed that the Masari were indian K- kind of same like i had this image in my head that they were either you know indian or north african mm-hmm. you know like from from egypt or something just because of the way uh the previous Yeah, where, like, that took place kind of somewhere near the Mediterranean and they had to travel Mm -hmm. to them. And, like, obviously India would be a little far to get to, but, you know, crossing over to the other side of the Mediterranean, not that not that bad. So it's like, yeah, they'd always kind of felt like they had maybe come from India and settled in North Africa. Mm -hmm. But instead, it's just African and Asian descent. Like, what the fuck? Two whole continents. Just two whole continents. (laughs) Well, yeah.
1: Long story short, uh, Cedric is a brown woman, so it's nice that they have a brown woman front and center. Especially after Jaguar. Ugh, yeah, that's right. Pale, pale Jaguar. It's unfortunate that she's airbrushed to shit in this cover. She has no features. She's extremely smooth. She looks like a video game sim. She does. She does kind of look like a render, and it's even worse. Like, it doesn't look as bad on the physical cover, on the digital cover. Oh, my God. Oh it's no. awful. I assume you can yeah. zoom in a whole bunch. Well, it just, you don't get, like, some of the detail, I guess, or the, the hair is really what kind of fixes it on the physical cover. Mm-hmm. On the digital cover, you don't really see that, and it just, oof, it's so bad. Anyway... Uh, So it's Sarik staring uh straight ahead at the camera and at the bottom there's the little swirly thing and then Poison Tree in green, question mark, don't mm. know why. And it's
0: bad, like this is a bad cover. Yep. It was so difficult to take a picture of this one and make it not just like fade out. Yep. And it's also, it's it's incorrect. Like mm-hmm. she does not have hair that is black when we see her. You know, like, she has lightened it to, like, a nondescript brown. <laughs> Whatever that means. Yeah. And she does not wear a black shirt. You know, she wears lighter colors. Like, you could have made her eyes look like a tiger.
1: Yeah. I mean, we saw this with the first cover for In the Forest of the Night. You could do interesting things with shapeshifter Absolutely. concepts.
0: Right? Put some fucking stripes in her hair. Like, anything interesting. Have her have a hand up with a fucking, you know, like, transforming into claws. I I don't know. Something to let me know what this fucking book is about.
1: Yeah, it just feels like we're going to use as few assets as possible. So get me a girl, get me a tree, get me a background. We're (laughs) done.
0: No, I already have the tree. We're fine. (laughs)
1: That's right, that's right. I bought the tree. This tree cost
0: us $200. We are using it for every book. Yes, we are going to make the most of this tree. And, <laughs> like, why? There's two fucking crows in the background. One in the top left and one in the, like, oh my God, side either. right. Who cares? There was not a single fucking bird in this book. I, that must just be the choice
1: for, like, looping all of these books together, putting some fucking crows on them. Some
0: fucking crows. And so the one thing that I will say about this cover that is correct is mm-hmm. that it probably should have just been her story. But because it is four people's story, and more specifically, like, the fucking blurb tells us it is her and Alicia's story. Mm-hmm. This is where you could have had two girls on it, you know, looking at each other or looking away from each other or anything. Mm-hmm. But, like, it, you know, it is correct that it probably should just be her story.
1: <laughs> it is funny. Like, I read this when it first came out, you know, that was 10 years ago. I did not remember Elysia. I just remembered it being about Sirik.
0: Yeah, because it should have been.
1: Yeah, and that this cover does nothing to
0: uh, dissuade you of that notion. No. And then the fact that there's, in fact, four point of view characters.
1: I feel like we did a monkey's paw, Ollie. (laughs) We were like, just make it from everybody's perspective. And now it
0: is, and it's still bad. Because the two other point of views don't add anything to it. This is accurate. Like, this one should have been two points of view. Yes, I agree. But by making it four points of view, you don't leave any room for, one, the two dudes. And Mm -hmm. two, for Alicia to have any fucking plot that matters.
1: Yeah, I would argue that these stories are completely separate from one another. Like, the only thing that ties them together is the event. (laughs) <laughs> that literally so,
0: ties them together. Fact that they happen at the same time.
1: <laughs> yeah. I I went over this book as we said a second time. I was really like trying to pay attention to like what mirrored what, like what added to what. Yeah. And none of this shit adds to nothing.
0: <laughs> there there's not there's a lot of fun stuff you can do with writing, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when you have multiple characters. You can you can have them be foils to each other. Like you said they can mirror each other you can have one person going in one direction on their storyline and the other person is like traveling the same story but backwards you know like Mm -hmm. whatever there's a lot of literary devices Mm -hmm. and none of that's used
1: no can i give you my i don't want to say thesis but like that is what
0: we are here for
1: my friend (laughs) which is my general takeaway from this is that You are correct. There are literary devices that you can use if you are telling a story with intent to communicate a like thought, a a theme. And then there is just a recitation of events that happen that you think are cool. (laughs) And that is what this book feels like. And I know that there is, I have an interview. There was, at least at some point, a thought that the author was trying to get across or at least that they were they I was wondering I know right I only looked it up because you mentioned that but like they looked at the book at some point and they were like this is what I can take from this or it was there from the beginning I don't know (laughs) but like there is something that the author asserts they were trying to get across I don't think it was successful and to me that
0: feels like backfill yeah, there's there's a there's quite a bit of that as we've gotten farther into this back, this author's backlist. Mhm. Where you're just like it's a backronym, but it's a whole book. <laughs> but a book.
1: <laughs> so yeah, we'll get into it, but first, do you want to start with where you come from from this book or did you want to save that for later? How do you
0: how do you want to do this? So I feel like what I should do is give just like the warning that I need to give. Okay? Of where I come from this, but without, like, talking about what happens. Okay. Or what happened nearly 20 years ago. <laughs> um, Gather round, children. <laughs> I bear these scars. Um, <laughs> that I should save my personal meta until people know the story so that I can explain, you know, okay. this is how it was different for me. So, as we head into this discussion today, uh, children, just know that... Cinna and I are reading this from two very different perspectives. Cinna has only ever been aware of this book in its final form, right?
1: Uh, I mean, I, I saw the stuff that was on the den at the time, but obviously my only
0: actual experience with the story is when it was published. Okay. So that that's where Cinna's coming from. I am intimately familiar with the fucking guts of this story. Mm. In a prior draft, like... I had access to one of the the first, or perhaps the original draft, where I said, there could be something fun in here, and I helped change some of the plot. There's other stuff that happened that got changed, you know, after I was involved with it, but, like, I did ask questions about why is this happening, that's a plot hole, what what might have been here, so that we could film it. And mm-hmm. we spent the summer of 2003, myself, the author who I was dating at the time, and like every possible friend we could pull in filming this, you know, I I wrote the script probably with the author, but the author had already written it. So I, I adapted the script and I worked with um, Sam Kruger, was our director of photography. I was one of the directors. Amy was one of the directors and just doing a lot. <laughs> um, I was a character who's like all of her scenes have basically been cut. So I I played that character, I did a lot of, like, gore effects, and Mm -hmm. I helped with the fight choreography, and (laughs) costuming, and set, you know, finding, and just, just everything, anything. It was a fun summer where we did this, and interestingly, it says 2002, but I'm pretty sure it was 2003. So in the, not dedication... Acknowledgements? Yeah, in the acknowledgements at the beginning, I mentioned... Mm -hmm. And I either didn't know this or forgot this, but I wasn't, like, consulted. So, therefore, it didn't stick in my memory. And it says, Finally, I must go back to 2002. I think it was 2003. (laughs) And thank the cast and crew of Tiger Eyes, especially Ollie, who instigated that project, and Sam Kruger, who prodded me to develop a story I might otherwise have given up on long ago. You all helped me see and hear these characters in a way I had never expected. So, that was a really fun, really weird really bad summer. Aww. Um I have dissociative identity disorder. I have been piecing together that summer as I read this book. Oh wow. <laughs> Cause I'm just like, I I don't remember <laughs> so much of that summer because there was also a lot of meta bullshit happening in the old Den of Shadows website at the mm-hmm. time. I've just I've I've blocked out so much of that summer and, mm-hmm. and fall. So that's really weird. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, that's where I, where I'm coming from is I'm reading this book and I'm like remembering a time in my life that I really only strongly had like maybe two memories from. Wow. Yeah. And then of course I'm also reading this book in its final form, which (laughs) I had nothing to do with the final form. Right. Cause if this was published in what we say 2012, Mm -hmm. I hadn't really been in touch with the author since right around Wolf Cry. Okay. So it went Wyvern Hail, Persistence of Memory, Token of Darkness, all just class, and then this one. So, like, five years. Gotcha. So, I didn't have a whole lot to do with it. When it was being written and edited and published, I was either homeless or dealing with steampunk stuff. So, this is the one I've been kind of dreading talking about the most because of that summer. Okay. So, yeah. all right. <laughs> there we go. That's my warning. Okay, let let me know if you ever want to stop or anything. I think it'll be okay. okay. Be, it'll, it'll just be when we get to the, the me explaining anything. And I don't know, maybe I'll talk about some stuff. Maybe maybe I will We'll see. Okay, it's a mystery. You have to listen Ooh. to find out. <laughs> Stay tuned to the podcast you're fucking listening to. <laughs> listen to the
1: end. We don't know what's going to happen because it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. <laughs> How was it for you when you read this one the first time? The first time, I don't know, because I don't remember much about it, except that I didn't particularly like this book. And that was just kind of the end of it for me. I don't even remember why. It just
0: slides off the brain. I mean, I did have the problem of reading this one. I finished it last night, and thank goodness you and I chatted throughout the day about it because Mm -hmm. I was losing all of the fucking everything that happened
1: can i just say that literally as we were sitting here talking about our drinks and talking about the cover i felt like i was standing in front of a very large hill and i was like talking about this book is going to be so much effort because i'm going to have to remember stuff and like I, <laughs> have opinions on it I, it's just it's so weird how it just feels so hard at the moment but yeah. I'm with you. I will also say, Poison Tree is a book that you, me, and Robin read together. Did we? Yes. We, I don't think we were doing paper cuts yet, but we were having like our Den of Shadows forum
0: chats. Oh my goodness.
1: Yeah, and Poison Tree came out and we were all like, well, we're the Den of Shadows, so obviously we should read this and talk about it together. What? So we, yeah, we got on like a Skype call
0: and we didn't record it or anything, but we, we talked about the book. Oh my God. I yep. also don't remember that cuz here's here's the other great thing if this came out in 2012 did it did it come out in 2012 it did so the worst the worst fucking moments of my life were in 2011 uh where I had like the breakdowns mhm and by the time this would have come out in 2012 I wouldn't have been much better
1: <laughs> yeah i i remember some of those years were pretty rough
0: yeah God, I don't know how I have any memory of anything. I feel like I don't. I feel like I look at the jars that are labeled by each year and it's like, so that's like a uh, 5 pennies and a quarter. All right. is <laughs> oh, like, man. why is there nothing in that jar? <laughs> it was a rough time and I was dealing with a lot of people needing things from me while I was burnt out. Mm-hmm. So, I'm sure that we talked about it. I fully believe you. It probably was fun to to take a moment and just read a book together. Mm-hmm. Do you, ha- do you have any, like, memory yourself of it?
1: No, I just remember that we did it, like, I know it wasn't the one before this, because I read that by myself, and I know it <laughs> wasn't the one after this, because I read that by myself, so I was like, we talked about one of these New Den books when it came out, it had to have been this one. That's
0: so fun, and I, I definitely would have been excited that this one came out.
1: Yeah, I think we, I know we chatted about it, I think we all
0: mutually were just kind of like, eh. <laughs>
1: You're like, well, that was a book.
0: Yep. I I hope that people who are listening to this have tr- have tried reading it, so that mm-hmm. they are are with us on this conversation. Like, <laughs> if you haven't read it, it's going to be so confusing. I mean, please stick around and listen to us because we're pretty silly. But
1: um. <laughs> I mean, it is uh, again standing in front of that hill. It's a very difficult book to explain. And here's the thing: I don't want to spend three hours explaining
0: what happens in this book. No. I don't feel like a lot happens and it also happens in the course of like 72 hours.
1: Yeah, it's just like a lot of things happen or like you're supposed to think a lot of things happen, but
0: ultimately they're all very silly
1: and it doesn't matter.
0: They all rely on this kind of cartoonish sense of the world. Yes, agreed. Where like prior versions of this, even including like a reading the way back machine Prior versions of this even included like that Alicia had been there for two weeks. Attack mm-hmm. there were several attacks. Mm-hmm. And and spreading it out made it seem like shit could happen instead of I literally just met some of these people. Mm-hmm. It's very weird. I don't know why these books keep dealing with shit that ha- takes place in oh <laughs> seventy-two hours is like as long as a convention, like a fandom convention <laughs> is. Uh-huh. And the shit that happens in this I'm just like, yo, no, that couldn't happen in the course of a convention. <laughs> and if it did, that would be exhausting. And I know that you all have access to fucking healer witches. <laughs> but like, let there be some breathing room. I don't know, let the shit fucking marinate.
1: The healer witches are the fucking short rests of this. Because it's like, oh, I got really fucked up. Gotta go to healer witch so I can
0: conceivably continue <laughs> to endure. Finish this plot. Yeah. yeah, these fucking 72 hours. At least it doesn't say in the course of 72 hours. Like, nobody yeah. cares. It didn't have to be.
1: It's so funny because, like, obviously the point is to look at the backlist as a whole, right? Yeah. And, like, looking at Persistence of Memory, looking at Token of Darkness, All Just Glass, like, the timelines are so compressed. Yeah. And they all center so hard on, like, a mystery and the twist of, like, what happened. <laughs> And it's all not good. Like, the twists are the bad part of the book. Yeah. Like, Persistence of Memory was was okay until suddenly the twist. I'm very curious if it was just, like, the first four books just sort of happened to be not twisty. I guess, I, well, maybe I'm speaking out of my ass. I guess Forrest kind of has the Alexander twist. Demon has
0: the Siet twist. I don't think mid-pred has a twist, really. No, it doesn't. It's very... I mean, the twist is that they don't fucking do the job because that's not the plot. (laughs) Yeah. But, like, there's time for the character to, like... I mean, literally a month goes by in the course of it. Like, it Mm -hmm. all takes place in the course of... I think it was 24 hours. And then, like, the fucking montage. But, you know, like, she ever had some scenes after Mm -hmm. that opening bit? There was not a twist. It was just plot it feels like i could watch that movie and not worry that it was a fucking mystery
1: yeah so i i think that they're definitely the the first couple books definitely have like their twist moments but these four in particular just feel like they are formatted differently and i don't know if it's the revisions if it's just like i'm trying to write in a different style for a different audience like or the market has changed but these these four books like they have
0: the same failures. <laughs> right. We get there. And we're just like, no, because the, the Kishore didn't have. Uh, no, they did. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they did. They did. Hawk Song. the twist was who, kill, who? Who you know, shot things and then it was suddenly over. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. OK, OK, OK. Here's what I'm seeing. Mm hmm. When the twist happens, typically the book is over. Mm hmm and because that's when the book is over it's not satisfying cuz the twists aren't satisfying right and it wasn't the the narrative promise
1: yeah there's not good foreshadowing
0: yeah and so you've you've read this one twice now is the twist foreshadowed enough <sighs> there are definitely
1: places where you see things being said that are meant to communicate what happened, right? Mm-hmm. But as you well know, there are also
0: straight up lies. Yeah, in person, in like the point of view where you're just like that—you're ca- lying in your fucking internal monologue. Right,
1: you're 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 lying in your head to the reader that you don't know is there. Yeah. Um, it feels fucking rude.
0: Honestly, it's just like,
1: why are you trying to hide this from me? It's well, it's it's cheating. And if the idea is to write a good story, where the resolution feels satisfying, then you have to foreshadow. Otherwise, it feels like bullshit.
0: Yeah, I should be this this is the thing I always have with mysteries where people are like, Oh, I never saw it coming. It's like, of course, you never saw it coming. They never gave me that information to be able to figure it out.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the things that I, I heard relatively recently, that made me sort of reassess uh, the way that I look at books is like, if you know what's going to happen, then that means the book has done its job telling yes. you, like, what – foreshadowing and telling you what it's about. Like, just because you, you know what's coming doesn't automatically mean, like, it's a shitty derivative book, right? Oh, and like, absolutely. And the, I feel that heartily in yeah.
0: Poison Tree. Because <laughs> it's terrible. So, I, I love that with, with movies. Like, my housemate and I will watch movies mm-hmm. and we talk. Like, <laughs> Oh, obviously. We love to fucking talk. And we were watching Werewolves Within. Oh, yeah. Okay. So you've seen it? Yeah. Okay, great. So from the beginning,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I was like, that's the werewolf. And, you know, we're watching, and my housemate's like, yeah, oh, no, for sure. And I kept being like, oh, so and so said this, and that character said this. So, yep, totally, it's that character. Totally, it's that character. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if it's not that character, they've got to have a really good fucking twist coming. And it was the character that, like, from the moment they stepped on the screen, I'm like, you're the werewolf. And I didn't feel like, boo, boring. I was excited because everything added up to this character is the werewolf. Mm -hmm. It felt great. I felt included. (laughs) I felt like they weren't trying to hide it. It was a mystery and I solved it and it was great. Right, because
1: the story was built in such a way that the ending makes sense and they weren't trying to trick you. The other characters
0: didn't have all the information we had, but that's because they're not omniscient watching it.
1: Mm -hmm. I feel like we keep having these situations where the twist is bad because it's nonsensical, especially here, where we have yet another instance of Eliza kidnapped herself. (laughs) Like, it's just so ridiculous.
0: Uh, where you're like you never even fucking hinted at that yeah and like sure on reread eliza kidnapped herself because i know that's how it went yeah i'm like yeah i see it but i had no way of knowing that
1: right because how how could you you know like yeah. obviously there are books where the, the narrator is unreliable but like you know sometimes you just lie to the audience <laughs> so that they don't guess and it's bullshit so like
0: yes and the yeah so the, and this one's just bullshit
1: well, this book, there are instances where the characters are given opportunities. Like like I told you the first time I read it, I didn't notice that Sir Rick had been the one who took Alicia's chest up to her room and had like alone time with it. On the second read, I obviously noticed that because they said that that was what happened as a solution. I was like, oh yeah, right. she did have alone time with it. <laughs> I see that now.
0: Where for me, I was like, she was the only one with it. She she took it. She was locking up. She was going to find you and bring you your keys. Like, it's what made the whole fucking plot come flooding back into my head. I'm like, <laughs> why didn't you go ask her? <laughs> the, the one that you know had time with your chest of yep. stuff and could have stolen your weapons. Right. And you know like that makes sense
1: like it, you should you should probably suspect this person mm-hmm. but then as a reader there are also times where this book will just pretend like somebody doesn't recognize somebody else and then later on that person will be like yeah I totally saw you and I recognized you Ugh. and I'm just the the prologue is just not going to acknowledge this right. in order to sustain the mystery in a way that it would not be able to if the book and the narrative was honest with the reader. So the answer to your question is yes and no. (laughs) So like, the first time I read this book this week, I was so overwhelmed by information. I was overwhelmed with characters. I was Mm -hmm. overwhelmed with things happening, with like the twists the, the people changing with the guilds. Oh my God, I got the guilds confused so much.
0: Because we actually had to deal with all three of them. It was very, it was a lot.
1: Right. Like there's just so much coming at me and my brain was just not in a space to analyze it. So I just gave up. I gave up. I let the book wash over me and I, I finished it. I did, did not make an attempt to like map the timeline or keep any of that stuff in my head I was just like I'm just going to believe everything that the book tells me
0: (laughs) which is bad because the book lies
1: right and I finished it and I was like I don't like this none of this clicks for me in a way that like makes sense so then I was like I should read this again give the book my full attention and I should see If upon second read, knowing what's going to happen, if it all makes sense. Right. And reading it the second time, I just could only see the way that the book is built on a very like faulty tower of (laughs) contrivances and conveniences in in such a way that it it feels like you could just give it a little, a little, a little, and the whole thing would come to tumbling down because it's all dandelion fluff it is and it none of it holds up to scrutiny even a little even if the book will tell you how it
0: does i love you sent me you sent me a shot and you're like oh look it's the author like telling the beta readers it's okay
1: (laughs) right there there are a lot of instances where the book is like well what if somebody did this thing and then somebody has to be like well no we can't do this thing because of this reason and it's like (sighs) that is spackle and
0: tape. You Half know? the fucking time I felt like the the laws of Cariq's homeland mm-hmm. were these moving goalposts that were just like in the way of the plot. Yep. That's like, oh I'm sure that all of these rules have existed forever for the creator. Sure. But the way they're here, they just feel like Mmm, why can't this happen? Oh Mistari Law.
1: Don't worry about it. It's We got We got an answer for that. <laughs> it's learned it in a dungeon. <laughs> yeah, though there's a lot of that. There's Mistari law. There's guild law. There's, there's single earth. Single earth, Triste magic. There's a lot of things where they can just say, oh, because this reason. And it's just like something that doesn't exist in the world. It just it happens because magic. And you're, you you yeah. just have to be like, all right. Sure book, sure. Yeah. You know, because otherwise with with even a sense of like a hint of realism
0: like all of this shit comes crashing down which which so I'm so glad you said the word realism is very funny because like these these books are about like you know supernatural magical fucking beings mm-hmm. and yet if it had a hint of realism we could believe these magical beings and that they existed mm-hmm. it walks such a weird line between Making shit up, trying to be realistic, failing at being realistic. Mm-hmm. And or, – or, or the moments it has realism where you're just like, why aren't you just having fun with this? Why isn't this fun? This could be fun. Yeah. I feel like at some point someone said to the author, your, your ridiculous tryhard characters are ridiculous tryhard characters. And – that that meant, like, oh, I should take away everything that is that. When it's like, then what what am I here for? Like, mm-hmm. these books aren't here to be... <sighs> yeah? These books aren't here to make me think and, like, change my life. <laughs> these books are here to have fun and find fun characters. And, like, I'm a teenager and I'm reading this book and I'm... You know, maybe I deal with a a bad dad like, you know, Sariq has. um, Or maybe my family's, you know, getting a divorce like Alicia's is. And I just want to have a power fantasy. There's no fucking power fantasy in this. Mm -hmm. And I know that you and I complain about (laughs) a lot Mm -hmm. of the tryhard stuff. But fuck it. We're allowed to ask to have it both ways. (laughs) (laughs) Because clearly, if you remove the ridiculous elements. Mm -hmm you're left with these boring milk toast fucking mediators. Mm. Mm-hmm. Where there was ever stuff in it that I'm like, oh, that is an interesting challenge. That is an interesting problem to have. You know, I'm glad that we're seeing, you know, Sariq deal with how the Mistari interacts with the, the main world through the cubs and things like that. But meanwhile, it's just like it's not even the office. <laughs> <laughs> because at least like there's humor in the office. That's how I feel about it. Yeah, I
1: I don't know. I I get torn with these books because we had we had a lot of fun making fun of the try-hard vampires in the first couple books. And then you know <laughs> Bring them back
0: so I can make fun of them.
1: Right. <laughs> I, I do almost also miss dunking on them. Now, granted, there are a couple of choice dunks in this book mm. which I do appreciate.
0: But I can't wait to dunk on them. <laughs>
1: but i feel like there was always a level of uh seriousness right because you have Mm -hmm. like shattered mirror where we're talking about like i mean like vampire rape and stuff so it's you know questionable but like midnight predator definitely tries to like tackle some meaty stuff the kia shara built on meaty stuff yeah um i feel like these books trying to do meaty stuff is not unusual. But they're just not campy enough to be campy, and they're not
0: good enough to be good. Right? It's like you're tackling stuff that is important, but you're not writing a realistic fiction. So you've got all of this magic that's kind of getting in the way, and you know, and shapeshifters and witches and vampires.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Like that's that's okay. That's a choice. But it does mean that it's getting kind of bogged down with it, mm-hmm, and then it's just boring somehow. mm. I was trying to
1: pinpoint why Sirik's trauma doesn't work for me. Mm-hmm. um and we discussed a little bit that there is a level of cartoonishness, right, like obviously. There are abusive parents. There are physically abusive parents. Like, yeah, yeah. No, I, I grew up with that. I ran
0: away from that. I should totally identify with this character. Yes,
1: like we all know that parents who beat their children, who use their children, who uh, intimidate their children, like who make their children dependent on their approval. Like there's, there's nothing in Sir Rick's story or even her attitude that feels untrue. Yeah, but it all feels she's the
0: one who has the most potential development to pull on.
1: And there were ever there were definitely moments where I was like this this moment does feel powerful to me. But most of it did not feel untrue, but it did feel fake. Yeah.
0: It felt like a story
1: and a very broad story at that like i guess maybe it lacked some specificity maybe that's what what i was sort of picking up on that i can't articulate because we get like one memory from when she's like five and that's a very killing the falcon memory you know it's very very trite every trauma that sirik has and i i I don't want to say this in an asshole way but like the things that Sirik describes are very trite in the genre of child assassin, right? <laughs> yes. Like, there's nothing in this book that doesn't feel like it was lifted from something else that has probably done it better.
0: So as you're chatting about this, it occurs to me that if she had not been a child assassin...
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, there's two ways. If her dad had also not been a fucking assassin...
2: hmm
0: So... If she hadn't been raised to be an assassin, this could have just been this tiger shapeshifter girl dealing with her like dad who was an assassin,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
0: abusing her, using her her innocence to let him get into places where he could do his job, shit like that. Right? Mm-hmm. That could have been something so that she's not a fucking child assassin.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Or it could have just been she was raised in a culture where violence was really common, and you know, your king or your queen was was law and her father was her king so he wasn't an assassin he was just a dick like (laughs) having the bruja guilds makes this layer that is absolutely unnecessary he he could be a dick without being a fucking leader of an assassin guild
1: i definitely do agree and feel that because when we get to the revelation of Sirik, who you think is just a mild-mannered tiger lady oh no she's actually a super badass
0: assassin (laughs) 17 years in the or 16 years raised in the in the brouhaha guilds
1: it was like another siobhan bringing down dynasties moment where it's like why is everybody the best coolest assassin I'm rank three in all three guilds. Nobody's ever done that f- before. I'm the leader of Frost, and also I was in Onyx. Like, why is it always the baddest, baddest assassins to ever assassinate? It's so frustrating. And it, you're right; it, it does. It's add, classism.
0: It's just classism.
1: <laughs> well, it just it adds that layer of unreality to it by making everybody like the best there is at what they
0: do. It's it's yeah. like so silly. You can never bother paying attention to just an avian and a serpiente in the Kieshara. Mm-hmm. That's boring. We have to pay attention to the king and the queen.
1: Right. And I, I understand, like, you go, you want to go where the action is,
0: right? Like, sure. But you know what? And assa- like, I will say this. Thank you, Midnight Predator, for having us just follow Turquoise and Raven until Raven, you know, becomes the leader of the guilds or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, thank you. They were just fucking assassins who were good at their jobs.
1: I mean, that being said, Raven and Turkers were the best crimson assassins, so.
0: Right, right. They were challenging to be the leader, but like, they were not yet already.
1: Right, no, and I, I, I hate that this book is making Midnight Predator look
0: good. <laughs> <laughs> Only a
1: little bit. It It is, though, because I genuinely was reading this thinking like, how did Midnight Predator do this story but better?
0: Right, it's like you had assassins and they did their job kind of.
1: And Midnight Predator was allowed to be one person's story for one thing,
0: which is funny because I thought it should also have Raven as the protagonist.
1: I know I was about to say, didn't we, didn't we bitch that Raven should have been? Raven's story should have been included. But she should have. And this one should have just been Serik's story. I feel like we we come to a thing where like this is the problem, and then the next book fixes that problem and you're like, "Oh, but it's still bad." What happened? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> Alright, so we should we should probably like do a do just like a and I can't emphasize this enough, a bare bones recap, right?
0: Okay, I'm not even gonna open the book. Okay. So as we learned from the the blurb, right? We've got these two gals. Something happened six years ago that's important to all four of the protagonists. <laughs> <laughs> all four of the protagonists, what is this? <laughs> okay. The four protagonists are Sariq, who is a tiger shapeshifter, who's had a traumatic past where her father was abusive. Michael no. Mm-mm. Jason? Mm-hmm. Jason. Michael? Right, he used to be Michael. Really? Jason. Yeah. Okay. Jason is a vampire who was involved in this traumatic thing six years ago because he was like fucking slave owned by his, the vampire lady who changed him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Him and Sariq escaped the terrible thing where we like a little, a little 11 year old girl was killed. Right. Alicia is a member of a fighter guild that uses stealth or something. She showed up to try to, like, take out some vampires at this this little nest. When she gets there, Christian, he's a guild member, but from a different place. There's three guilds. And the two of them fight and they, like, just fucking kick ass and destroy all the vampires. But like we said, Sarik and Jason escape. Six years later, Sarik and Jason have joined Single Earth, which is like a piece forward kind of thing that we chatted about a whole bunch in Persistence of Memory. Mm-hmm. Now we actually get to be there. They are working as mediators at Haven Number 4. There's, like, a whole bunch of havens around the world. And there's a new person who stepped in. And, oh, look, it's Alicia. <laughs> uh, Sarik doesn't know her because she didn't see her there. But she's suspicious of her immediately. And rather than fucking talk about it, she snoops. And we don't know it, but she steals shit out of Alicia's chest of, like, shit. Gets her bolts from her for her crossbow. And wants to kill Alicia, but hesitates and can't, even though she's a trained assassin. And shoots the three people who come out of the fucking main hall during a snowstorm. And one of them happens to be her boyfriend, Jason. Mm Mm-hmm. Who's a vampire. (laughs) Yep. Okay. But nobody dies. She she shoots, like, a human in the leg and a tree stay in the hand. And him in, like, I don't know, what, the stomach or something? Yes. But they all survive and Alicia like gives blood and this is very confusing to Sariq.
1: Should we briefly explain why Sarik did this? I think that's
0: fine because like the twist
1: doesn't matter. Sure. So when Sarik finds these objects in Alicia's possession, she assumes correctly-ish that she is a member of the Bruja guilds, that she, uh, she, specifically the weapons are like, they mean that you are super highly ranked in all three guilds. So she's like, holy shit, this badass assassin is here. <laughs> My dad also is a badass assassin, as am I. And I ran away from him six years ago. She must be here to Get me. kill me, to return me to something. She's here threatening me, basically.
0: Right. She panics. I mean, like, she doesn't think maybe there's somebody else here who they could be hunting.
1: I or you know the thing that is obvious that is actually the case, which is reformed people go to single earth
0: a lot, that is kind of
1: their <laughs> bread and butter, so it's
0: like, why don't you just ask her like I get it. She's like, I can't let on, but like maybe fucking tell somebody else right, and she has excuses for that
1: like i I went through I highlighted all of this shit. she's like, I can't tell the powerful tree stay witch she'll give her the benefit of the doubt, and I can't afford that if she's wrong, right. So she says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to kill Elysia. She can't do it. She says, okay, instead, I'm going to shoot people with her weapons and frame her and they'll kick her out and everything will be cool. The fuckery of this. The, the fact that this is what the book is about, that it hinges on Sirik making this very, very, very intensely ridiculous decision is like F. F minus. You fail. I don't believe that she would do this because it's intensely stupid.
0: I don't either. Like, I know that she's like, I must protect the place, blah, blah, blah. She does it immediately. Immediately. It happens literally the day Alicia gets there. Yeah, she gets there and it's like five o'clock in the fucking morning the next day that she does this. Yes. She really needed time to be like, I don't know, she's sus. She's here, but she's kind of not. I don't
1: Honestly, the fact that it happens immediately is the only thing that makes me kind of buy it because they really, like, as we discussed, there are many points in this book where the author realizes that the thing that is happening is unlikely. So they will explain (laughs) to you why Why it it is happening and why it is not ridiculous.
0: See, I don't know. I feel like if she had taken time to, like, decide that this girl's got to go, I would have preferred that, basically. Otherwise, why did you fucking do this?
1: It's still that question. Like, I still don't believe that this would ever happen because it's a real dumb decision. But as an impulse decision, which is what the book sells it as so hard.
0: Yeah. Like, literally later,
1: she's like, I don't know, I panicked. You shot innocent people to cover your own
0: butt. like, <laughs> and But not, you just, you hoped that she would get framed for it and get pushed out. Like, if she's... An assassin here to kidnap you and take you home or kill you. This is only going to make her kidnap and kill you faster. Yeah. If she's innocent, you're just framing her and getting her kicked out. <laughs> it's it's a wildly
1: selfish decision on all yes, levels. Yes,
0: absolutely. For a character who is not supposed to be that, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's why it rings real false. Because she... In this final draft, she's not very selfish. She is trying to be helpful and help other people. But she makes these choices and does this stuff. And it's like, maybe that's because you were, you know, triggered and you felt like that kid who ran away six years ago. Mm -hmm. But, like, we don't ever really see that otherwise. Yes.
1: 100%. So. It is... When I found out that Sarik was a badass hunter, I was like, No. This doesn't feel like a badass hunter. Yeah. I don't think that the book does a good job of showing us those sides
0: this of Sarek. This doesn't feel like a spoiled princess no. of the Onyx Guild. Like, uh-uh. No, everything
1: everybody said about her just felt so untrue. And and just also, like, cruel.
0: She's literally a kid.
1: Yeah, they, they were very mean to an abused child. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, like... It, you know, it's the author's job to make it feel plausible, and, and they just don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that there's a an interview where they talked about how in the first few drafts, Sarik was intensely unlikable.
0: But I liked that about her.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I believe that. I believe that you liked that about her. I probably would have liked that about her, too. I definitely also believe that the author was told over and over that this person cannot be a protagonist. Mm-hmm. And I think that they maybe
0: went a little too hard in the other direction. <laughs> because it meant that the times where you meet characters who have these fucking mean, rude opinions of a literal teenager, you're just like, okay, but she's not that way anymore. And also, I think you were really colored by what she was living in. Right. It's it's just like, straight up, I
1: don't believe it. I don't believe that she was an assassin. No, she was 16. <laughs> When I when I found out that Sarik intentionally, like, her first plan was to kill Elysia, I was like, what? Right? And, like, murder is not weird in this world. Like, murdering no. to protect yourself is not weird. But for me, reading that Sarik was going to do that, I was like, Sarik, what? So, yeah. Uh... You did too good at making her feel like a little baby lamb and not like a tiger. Yes.
0: Yes. Which is why I liked her when she was... More intense, let's say. Not unlikable. I liked her, so obviously she was likable. Yeah. I would say I do like her how she is when she is <laughs> the lamb, as you put it. hmm But the references to her being another person or another type of character. Right. Just don't match. Right. The idea that this person
1: was Raven at one point is just... Yes. It feels yes, real it weird. Yeah. So anyway,
0: yes. That's all for that. Continue. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So... Within the course of the following day, they decide that, okay, it's someone from Bruja. There must be a hit out on someone here or just harassing us. No one was killed. And if it was Bruja, that means they weren't paid to kill. So let's just go fucking talk. Let's go to Onyx Hall. I know the way, says Alicia. They're like, well, someone should go with you. And since everybody else from the mediator table, the two people are like, tired and or had been wounded Sarik is like I'll go with you this is weird because they're going back to the hall that she like ran away from Mm, super weird isn't it where her father like runs this hall and she hasn't been here in six years but she's like her whole excuse is if Alicia is here to kidnap or kill me this is her opportunity she's just like I'm gonna just fucking bare my throat basically and it's like why are you doing this? And it's like, well, I can turn into a 300 pound tiger. So she does try to kill me. She won't get to. And if she does try to turn me in, she won't get to. (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm.
0: But when they get there, Alicia hasn't been here in two years. And Christian, the guy from the beginning, is so happy to see her. And Sarik just like stands in the doorway with the door open and the sunlight behind her so he can't see her. And because he's just a complete dick (laughs) and does not give a fuck about anyone he doesn't already care about, Mm -hmm. he just ignores this lady standing in the doorway Mm -hmm. and doesn't look at her. And we are told like from the get-go with Alicia when she meets Sariq, that this girl clearly has changed her hair color. This is not her natural hair color. And she's wearing stuff that makes her her skin tone look like toned down and like to hide her sexy body. Okay, fine. So Christian isn't isn't intrigued by this fucking single earth mediator. The fucking hoops that we just went through right there. Mm-hmm. To not have Christian recognize her because they used to, they grew up together mm-hmm. in this hall. Like her dad said, Christian, you're going to marry my daughter. Mm-hmm. And again, he was like seventeen, and she was sixteen when they last saw each other. So, like, I don't know how long they'd been intended to each other. But side note, also, like, there's some weird, fucking pure blood bullshit that happens in here. You know, Always. Which I love that. Can't have shapeshifters without talking about somebody's blood. Somebody's pure blood. Uh, so I find it weird that he would want to marry off his daughter to a, at the time, human. Like.
1: Yeah, I mean, that—that that is weird. I can, yep, you're you are right. I was going to say maybe he just assumes that she's going to pop out more shifters. But if he's part human, so is she. So,
0: yeah. Yeah. So if she marries and has kids with a, or if she mates, I'm sorry, mm-hmm. and has babies, like those babies are now some percentage human mm-hmm. and therefore are more likely to be human because, I don't know, like, I don't think in previous drafts he was part human. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think anything had to do with it. Like, So Corey wasn't a thing? I don't think so. I think she was just a human girl that, Seri- or that Sahara knew and was maybe friends with. Like, I can't remember the specifics around that. I remember okay. the girl who played her in the movie. Mm-hmm. So, like, this girl was part of it, but I don't think that she was her sister. I can't remember. Okay. Um, or if she was the sister... I think that maybe Amy just decided at some point between then and this book that tigers breed true or something like that, mm-hmm. which is just weird to me because if you're if you're a shapeshifter, you should always have the potential of if you have sex with a human and they have if they get pregnant or you get pregnant that they could be human. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's very weird to me. There's it's just it's fucked up. But yeah, Corey was involved, and that was definitely something. Okay. But um where am I
1: at? Uh the Onyx Hall. Yeah, Onyx Hall. Oh wait, 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 wait. We need to we need to allow ourselves this moment, Ollie. hmm Onyx Hall. A re-, re reformatted theater. Oh. Where the uh Onyx Guild lives <laughs> and trains is in complete darkness. Yeah. Pitch black inside. For like, what is the point of this? Is this reason. so you don't have to describe what people look like? <laughs> no. They're so hardcore, Ollie. It's like that cafe in the first Forest book where it's like, oh, it's so dark in here. Nobody can see. Only vampires it's lit by allowed. a single
0: candle and all of the mirrors reflect it. It's the only light because you don't need it if you are supernatural enough. What is this man doing? He has. He
1: employs humans. I don't care how much time you spend in the dark. You do not develop dark vision. (laughs) If there's no light, there's no light. You can't see. Mm -hmm. What is this doing? It's so it's so ridiculous. And I just mm, I highlighted it. I was like, welcome back to the Bruja guilds. (laughs) I love it.
0: Right there's your tryhard shit that we can make fun of. I love it. Beautiful. (laughs) I I love it.
1: Bless it. What the fuck? And then this is in service of, like, that's how Christian doesn't make out Sahara's features when she's standing in the doorway. Because he doesn't want to fuck up his night vision, because otherwise he's going to bang his shin into so much stuff trying to walk around this theater.
0: (laughs) It's so, it's ridiculous. It's like, why doesn't he tell the girl, get inside? Well, he, he
1: clocks so much clocking in this book. He clocks that she is trying
0: to remain hidden. He just doesn't care why. It's so weird to me. And this is why I think he's an asshole. He's not very good at his job. No, he's not. I remember in Midnight Predator that it felt like no one who isn't part of the guild should be here. And I was so confused as to why Christian wasn't like, hey, you're not part of the guilds. Go wait in your fucking car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he just let this girl stand there.
1: Yeah, he did, and the the book is very careful to tell us how much he doesn't see her and what he doesn't notice about her. Yeah. This is all the stuff that you fucking see on the second reading about how careful the book is to insist that this makes sense. Mm-hmm. but being very careful about its words, like you talked about earlier, Alicia
0: has seen pictures of Sahara. She yes, is because as we find out later... She showed up to the Onyx Hall. She was part of Frost, like within 24 hours of Sahara, Sariq disappearing, and Kral is like, You clearly took my daughter. And right. so he has shown pictures of her being like, Where the fuck is she? Right. She
1: he she is familiar with Sahara. She knows that Sahara and Christian used to date. Like she she yeah. knows. And later on in the book, they will say, explain how. Alicia didn't recognize her by saying, she changed her hair. She changed her voice. She changed her clothes. She changed changed her perfume. Her perfume.
0: Alicia, all you saw was a fucking picture of her. Uh, Well, that too. But
1: like when Alicia meets Sahara, she notes, oh, this lady changed her hair. This lady has a bland Midwestern accent. This lady wears this specific perfume. Like, she literally notices everything. Everything. She's very good
0: at her job in that regard.
1: She notices exactly these things that Amy will tell us is why she doesn't recognize Sahara. But she notices
0: them. Yeah. It lampshades why she doesn't recognize her. And never makes her go, I wonder what she would look like.
1: Right. Like if you notice that this girl lightened her hair, then you would automatically think, oh, Mistari have darker hair and they just sort of like see that in your mind. But this book does not expect Alicia to make
0: that leap. It's very tightrope. I wish that she had recognized her on site, like maybe not immediately. But uh, Sarik has the why does she seem familiar and then was, like goes through her shit. Mm-hmm. I wish that Alicia had had. A same a similar moment where she was like, why does this gal seem so familiar? And then, like, sat up thinking about it and then went, well, if her hair was different, oh, put her, put her in, you know, fucking black leather and gold earrings and whatever. Like, oh, shit. It's that girl six years ago I was asked about. Fuck, she's been hiding in single earth this whole time? Well, good for her. I am also trying to hide from these things. <laughs> right. Like, if she just
1: knew... Yeah, and Kral, uh made Alesia's life very difficult because of Sahara. And to not, like...
0: And and we're told early on, sorry sorry to roll us back onto it still. No, it's okay. We're told early on that, like, it's not very common necessarily for the Mistari to leave the tribes because the mm-hmm. tribes are so abusive. So, like, the only other tiger gal that she knows who would be roughly this gal's age would be that girl. And, it, like, her mind should have automatically gone to... At least, like, wow, maybe there's something about this generation that is just, like, fed up with it. Right. And here's the thing. You can do it once. You cannot
1: do it with every single character in your book. The yeah. same thing. Like, Christian doesn't recognize Sahara, even though he has grown he's up with up her. With her. He's her, He's been her lover. Like, he knows this girl very, very well, does not recognize her.
0: Like, I get it. It's been six years. She was 16. She's now 22. Sure. Sure. Fine. On on its own. Sure. But then
1: Sahara doesn't recognize Raven. Even though she clocks, oh, her eyes look different. Oh, her hair looks different. <laughs> oh, she's wearing these kinds of clothes. So it's like, oh, if you change those exact details, you get a Raven. What? <laughs> <laughs> like they pull the same trick? Carry the platypus? <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Oh my Sir god! Leak the tiger? I'm just... No, sorry, Sahara the tiger. Everybody in this book is a fucking doofenshmirtz. It's incredible. <laughs> but you, you can't do this over and over again and have the plot hinge on it. You get one. You don't get like six. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah.
0: like I am accidentally a master of disguise. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It's because I'm a fucking Nosferatu, and I will use you know mask of a thousand faces mm-hmm. whenever the fuck I feel like it. And I have been reintroduced to people mm-hmm. who like have like come and hung out with me plenty of times. Mm-hmm. So like that's fine. I've also been mistaken for people's like siblings, mm-hmm. for people's girlfriends. Like, I just have one of those faces. Mm -hmm. So, I can believe that Alicia doesn't recognize Sahara Mm -hmm. from the photos that she saw, you know, six years ago. Mm -hmm. I can believe that Sarik doesn't know Raven because they barely met. Mm -hmm. But I can't believe that Alicia doesn't consider the only other fucking tiger (laughs) she's ever thought of. Mm -hmm. Like, I just can't. It's very weird. It's very strange. I hate that she stands in the doorway and so Christian doesn't get to see her. Like, because as soon as he actually sees her, he knows it's her. Yeah, yeah. He immediately recognizes her. I really feel like the book would be better for Alicia going, oh, fuck, good for her. Yeah, yeah. And maybe being a little pissy. Being like, you've been here this whole fucking time. You know what?
1: Any opportunity that these two characters might have to think about and or develop some sort of emotional bond with one another, give it to me. Right? As opposed to just the way they are, which is nothing. These characters are co-protagonists. You would think that they would have some kind
0: of relationship, but there's (laughs) nothing. An opinion on the person they actually were, instead of the fear of what they might be. And, you know, I I know
1: that again, you know, referencing that interview, like Amy had a lot of issues with Sirik, just hating Elysia on sight. I get that, and I don't love girl hate, you know. Yeah, I, of course. I I never got the feeling that Sirik had a strong opinion on Elysia one way or the other. No, Elisia didn't matter. What she represented is all we get. Right? Even as she was well, and we don't get to see her shooting her, right? Like we don't we don't ever right. get to be in Curic's head for like a moment of strong emotion.
0: <sighs> for all the fucking flashbacks that we get in these goddamn books, the like the one of her sitting there wanting to shoot her doesn't happen.
1: No, she just tells us about it when it's time for us to figure out the you know the twist. But like the, the strongest thing that Sahara ever feels for Elizabeth is she's a better person than I thought she was, so she's probably not here to kill me. Like, there's just no strong emotion. <laughs> At and, least previously she fucking hated her. Yeah, right? Like, then why are you
0: co-protagonists? Like, if your relationship isn't important? Agreed. And again, this is why I think Raven and Turquoise should have been co-protagonists. Because they fucking hated each other. As you said, they were foils, right? Like, yeah, they had some kind of relationship. Yeah, they were foils and they hated each other and they were, like, reliant on each other to escape fucking midnight.
1: You know what it should have been and what I thought it was going to be?
0: Siric and Jason. I agree. Because he also had a plot that, like, I mean, granted he had no emotional arc, but he could have if we ever saw inside his head more. Because their plots intertwined. They were facing the same struggles. They were dealing with the same stuff thematically. They came together out of the same moment and not just happening to be there. (laughs) You're right. But
1: as it is, Elysia and the things that Elysia is sort of struggling with as a person has nothing to do with the struggles that Sahara has. And I don't know why you're trying to mush these two (laughs) stories thematically that are super different together. I
0: don't get it. I'll tell you why. Because they've always been that story. I 100% believe that. Yeah. Because this has always been the story, that is the story that must be told. If the author had had an opportunity and the people who might say, think outside the box, perhaps you should separate and tell Sahara Sariq's and Jason's story together, and then Christian and Alicia's story separate, mm-hmm. and also make Jason a gal, because why not lesbians? <laughs> you'd have had a tighter story yes so like you said this was a really fucking important moment for her but it was also a really important moment for him mm-hmm. he escaped slavery he had killed cory her sister did he her it's heavily implied
1: okay i have a question about that okay so yes the book says or his his former owner says oh you killed that girl's sister But in the very beginning of the book, Sahara says, oh, it's that guy who refused to hurt my
0: sister. That's weird because, and I feel like this is probably just uh, editing, in one of his uh, few chapters where it was in his perspective, Mm -hmm. it sounded like Maya, the vampire who changed him and owned him Mm -hmm. or enslaved him, had like tormented him for not hurting her. Mm Mm-hmm. And then after a couple of days, like, threw him, like, you know, frenzy hungry into a room where he, like, killed a bunch of people, including her. I thought
1: that was just a flashback to his traumatic backstory before
0: meeting Sarik. Oh, you think, like, maybe when he first was changed?
1: Yeah, like, the way that Sarik flashbacks to her her dad in that dance, the way that Alicia flashbacks
0: to her killing that guy, I thought that that was just his tragic backstory. It might have been. It was not very clear in that way. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that it would have been a tighter story for the both of them to have to deal with that, even if he hadn't, like, done it on purpose kind of thing. Mm -hmm. If it had been, you know, I'm literally a fucking vampire and I frenzied because, you know, Mm -hmm. that happens. And I think the reason I also thought that was because I know in other unpublished works Mm -hmm. that was ever the kind of thing a character might do where... In Midnight, vampires who were changed, like, that was a common thing to have happen, where it's like, I'm going to put you in this room now, and I'm going to starve you, and then I'm going to put the most important people in here, and you're going to kill them.
1: Yeah, I I definitely believe that that's a thing that they would do. I just wasn't clear on what the book establishes as
0: canon. I'm going to choose to believe he killed her, Mm -hmm. and then be mad that we didn't ever get the closure Right, because I don't think he ever tells her. I mean, cl- the two of them don't fucking talk. Right. They are very much live in the, live in the now kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's hinted that they do ever have conversations, but it's also hinted that, or not hinted, it's strongly stated, that, you know, your past is your past, and I'm not going to fucking press you, and, you know, like, when you, when you have nightmares, we can chat, but if you don't want to fucking talk about it, then we don't talk about it. Which, honestly, like, sometimes that's good, but sometimes it's fucking terrible. I remember... You know, I've I've had plenty of relationships with people where it's like it can just feel so false. I guess when they don't want to know about you, even like yeah. you know, they don't have to be like so. Tell me all your trauma, right? But like, it feels like oh, am I? Is it just right now? Like that's okay, I guess. But it's also very weird to me to not. I don't know. I just I've I've had bad experiences with that.
1: <laughs> no, I I definitely get like what you're saying in in both respects, right? Because like obviously. You don't have to dump all of your trauma on your partner to have a strong
0: relationship with them. Yeah, you're not to push someone to dump all their trauma.
1: But from another, like, layer of, like, rickety, are you serious, this is what's actually happening, storytelling, these two people have been together for six years.
0: Right? Have They've never lied up just talking about shit and then accidentally got sidetracked with, like, remembering bad shit? Right? Like...
1: Jason knows that Sahara's father was an abusive tiger, but she left out the part where he's the leader of Onyx? Why?
0: Yeah, right? Why wouldn't you tell him? Why wouldn't you be like, look, man, I'm on the run from my dad and he's the leader of Onyx. So, like... We have to like maybe move to Europe. <laughs> yeah. 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 Honestly, like what? Instead of four fucking hours away. <laughs> I
1: know, right? Just within the area so that Alicia and Christian can also make their way there. But like, and then there is another super confusing thing where like Jason didn't know that Corey was Sirik's sister or even that that She's was never talked about her, right? He found Sahara with the body. Yeah. Why did you, you didn't think that that person mattered? Would you have at least assumed she was her friend? Like nothing. He's just like, what? She was there for that
0: girl what I killed maybe? Like possibly. Obviously. She was 11 and Sarik was, or Sahara, was, was 16. I would assume that like, even if they weren't like... I don't know. So, I wish that they'd described what Corey looked like. Mm-hmm. I wish they'd never fucking described what Crawl looked like. I I was watching. I was waiting for, like, a big reveal of, like, this, like, this badass tiger dude, right? We never get a fucking description of him. Mm-hmm. Drives me fucking mm. mm-hmm. So, Corey, we're just told, like, she's human, and I'm like, what? Is she fucking white? Yeah, right. Like, what, what makes you, like, I understand it. People of color don't just know each other because <laughs> they are also people of color. But, Unless it's like, here's this red-headed, freckled white girl. Mm-hmm. You might look and think, maybe they're related. Maybe they're cousins. Maybe Family anything. Family resemblance. Yeah. Maybe they just, like, know each other from their community. No.
1: That is part of what makes reading the book so confusing, is because you read the prologue, and it establishes a status quo that is throughout the book, you're, you're told is incorrect. So you're like, yeah. oh... He found her with her sister. He must know about that. And the book's like, nah, ah, he doesn't though and that's why it's going to be a surprise when he finds out that she's Krull's daughter. And it's just like, oh, I
0: express my disbelief.
1: <laughs> it's it's the thing again is that there are so many individual points where you can express your disbelief, and then the book is made up of all of those things, and you're like, well, none of this <laughs> the holds book is up. Made of points that. Disbelieve. <laughs> God. Where are we even at? Uh, They, they, they went to Onyx. That's, that's where we stopped.
0: And then we got sidetracked talking about... Right. Uh, we're so good at this. <laughs> so, I don't know. Somehow Christian comes back and he, he gets to Single Earth. And so Alicia and him have a conversation. And I don't really remember what happens in the middle here. It ultimately ends with Ben the human revealing himself to be an agent of frost <laughs> and is like, Alicia, why did you shoot me? Somehow she decides that she's just going to go back to Onyx. Meanwhile, Sarik has been dealing with these Mistari cubs. Uh, they only speak the language of the the tribes, Hamastari. And so she's like their interpreter and she's trying to find like, it's like a nine year old and a 13 year old or something. And it's
1: a nine year old and a four year old because they're the exact same ages as Corey and Sarik.
0: Oh. Yep. Cool. (laughs) Thank you for remembering. So they're both princes, and, like, the older one is much more raised to be a prince, because obviously he's nine. And so she needs to, like, find a tribe, but they're having a hard time finding it, because, like, they came from a violent community Mm -hmm. as opposed to one of the more, like, gentle, artistic communities. And the connections that single earth have are mostly the gentle ones. And they're like, we don't want to take in like someone who's going to want to fucking fight or something. Oh, no, wait, no, no, no. It's, it's, they have connections to brutal ones and they're like, we're not going to take in a prince who might challenge me. And so she's trying to find a way to contact the main tribe, the, the queen of the tribes, the tribe of tribes.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And it's like, it's not, it's not like, I don't know. There's technology. Just fucking like send a fucking email to someone who can go To the tribes.
1: Very confused about how the Mistari work, because apparently they are uncontactable unless you physically go there. And you're not allowed to, unless you have, like, some sort of arcane permission from somebody.
0: Yeah, unless you're, like, in good standing, and Kroll is in good standing, her father, but she couldn't contact him, but she decides to contact him. And this sets off a chain of events where he's like... Six years ago, Alicia showed up t- within 24 hours of you disappearing. Six years later, today, she shows up at the hall. And within 24 hours, you call me coincidence? <laughs> I think not. And it's like, you're right, dude. It's a plot and it's weird.
1: He actually, I I did note that he does know why Alicia showed up because he knows that Alicia was at the place where Sirik went to and disappeared. That's why he thinks she's responsible for it. It's not literally coincidence. It's just he's lying.
0: No, no. The the coincidence being that he thinks that she has a reason why Sariq disappeared. He wants to know where she is. Mm-hmm. Basically, when she shows up, something happens involving his daughter. Mm-hmm. He's very convinced that she did something six years ago. And now she's contacting him again. But I just think it's like, dude. She very clearly was was in the Bruja guilds for six years. She doesn't have your daughter, you know, chained up in a fucking basement. (laughs) She was 17.
1: Yeah. I I think he thinks that she killed her.
0: Right. Which is what I would have assumed at the time being like, you know, you got there and you must have killed her because, you know, we hunt shapeshifters as well. Mm -hmm. But then she calls him six years later within 24 hours of Alicia returning Mm -hmm. after being gone for two years. So now he must be thinking you put her in hiding or something. Mm -hmm. But I wish he'd said that. I wish he had said, I think you killed her when he was first interrogating her years ago. And that now he's like, I think you put her in hiding. Yeah, I mean... Like anything, any fucking reason. As opposed to the bullshit Den of Shadows crap of just like, I don't know, my pride or whatever. Well, that's the thing.
1: The book isn't allowed to tell people's motivations or for people to have motivations. Because it's all a big secret. And if you know why... Crawl, uh Secret. is after Elysia or why he thinks she knows Sarik then you know the final twist and we can't have that so it just has to not make sense I hate it mm-hmm.
0: <sighs> so anyway he sends people to go oh wait 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 Elysia is leaving but a vampire is there and he's going to attack her and Sarik jumps on the vampire and then the, the nine year old boy Jet I think is his name mm-hmm. He kills the vampire because Sarik hesitates. And, oh, no, wait, Sarik doesn't hesitate. Sarik tells Alicia not to kill him because six years ago that could have been Jason. <laughs> but Jet has no fucking compulsions. So he's just like, I'm gonna fucking stab him. He attacked you. You're my queen. <laughs> Alicia fucks off. Um, Sarik has to have a conversation with the other mediators. Raven shows up, but she's like incognito. <laughs> Alicia was working with my sister. She's very sick. I guess shapeshifters are a thing. It's very confusing. And you were like, she literally showed up yesterday.
1: Yeah, that's the most egregious fuck up because it's like it happens in front of four mediators and none of them pause to think that Alicia got here two days ago. And the first night that she was here, uh, a big shooting happened. And she's been working on that the entire time. When has she been able to have clients?
0: Yeah, she's had no clients. She hasn't even fucking unpacked.
1: And then this lady comes in and is like, oh, you were working with Alicia? No, no, she just got here.
0: Yeah. I mean, like, uh, that's a lie, Mary. You're the secretary. You should be, like, fucking watching this shit.
1: And yet all three mediators are like, "Mm." I mean, so the worst part is that they all acknowledge that it was weird. And then they're just like, well, whatever.
0: Moving on. It's like, you're you're Single Earth, you should look at this shit. I I feel like the thing to me that is weird is that they don't know about the Bruja Guild. Like, they should have people who know this shit. Right. It's like, why don't you know things? There were so many times where, like, Lindsay, the, the head mediator, would be talking about stuff. And it was just like, why don't you already know this? Why, when when people show up, don't you be like, give me all the information you have on this and anything that might be useful to helping people get out of what you got out of. Right,
1: like, you don't have any people from Bruja that have defected here and then, like, told you about them?
0: That seems really unlikely.
1: Or are they all pulling a Sirik and Jason where they are just not talking (laughs) about
0: it? Which is what it ends up feeling like all the time, right?
1: It's absurd.
0: Yeah, because it's like, literally, three out of four of your mediators are hiding from the bad shit that happened. How is this the case? (laughs) And it's
1: all shit that could directly affect, like, the way you do your jobs, but they're not going to tell you
0: about it. Right, like, it's like, and that could affect your clients who are the people you're trying to protect. (laughs) Nope, doesn't matter. Nope, my trauma's too traumatic, we can't talk about it. You would be put at risk. Yeah, this is
1: ridiculous. Single Earth, they say repeatedly, is, like, the fastest growing and most powerful organization, but they don't know. They have so much money. They know nothing. They, they know yeah. shit.
0: No, it's ridiculous. So as a person who is, like, extremely into cataloging information about, like, the randomest fucking shit, mm-hmm. right? Like, I've got fandoms and I will catalog <laughs> random shit. And there's people out there who love cataloging random shit. Mm-hmm.
2: Like,
0: where's your librarians? hmm Where are your info desks? Mm -hmm. Where is just like the tomes of information on every type of shapeshifter and witch and tree stay? And why can't I look this all up in a fucking database?
1: (laughs) It's 2012, Mary.
0: Right? At the very least, you should have the ability to go into a library and find this information out. Well,
1: and you're telling me that like the smoke witches that run this joint don't know about Bruja?
0: Right. That the tree stays don't know about Bruja? that when you're brought on as a mediator, you aren't trained in knowing what all of the shit is. They mention all kinds of different factions of Naisi group, mm-hmm. and yet nobody knows anything. <laughs> I should know everything as a mediator, possible, being like, sure, I've gone through all the tests and I'm aware that these things exist. Like, oh, do you know the Bruja guilds? Ah, like I went to the training and learned about <sighs> it, but I don't remember everything. <laughs> go, go, go talk to she has more more information again it's that thing where you're like i do not believe this yeah (laughs) add it to the pile it comes back around to the stuff with single earth where it's like no they're good and they do good work and they would never they would never ignore you on purpose but here we are and it's like i actually don't believe that they do good work (laughs) because i don't think they know what they're fucking doing seeing them in the thick of it And then you
1: have the issue of, like, they have a file on Sassy, but they don't have a file on Bruja?
0: Yeah. If I'm Lindsay, this tree stay who who runs this property, right, I should be able to say, so, as soon as we were shot, and we thought it was Bruja, and, you know, we healed up Jason, and and one of my people came, and I healed up myself, and you two drove four hours, had a ten-minute conversation, and drove four hours back. You've been gone for, like, let's say, Nine hours with stops. It's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. Um, In that time, I had my people bring me files. I've spent it reading all of the information I could possibly want. Mm -hmm. You know, we've got bird shapeshifters. They fucking flew me some fucking files, right? (laughs) I have learned. I have taken this time to educate myself. Instead, I don't know what she did for nine hours.
1: I mean, and and
0: ultimately it doesn't matter because
1: what is important is what, uh, you know... Sarik and uh, Elysia were doing. Yeah. We couldn't have
0: had Jason be like, this is what I know about the Bruja guilds. We're told that he knows who Sahara is. He's never met her, but he knows who she is and who Kral is because Maya works for them. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Well, and I mean, it
1: it feels like the reason that they don't know about Bruja is so that Alicia can be like, well, I do know about Bruja and this is what I know. But like, yeah. if they know about Bruja, she can still be like, I know this about Bruja. I guess maybe it's they-
0: changed your
1: information's out of date. Maybe they just don't want her to acknowledge that she worked with Bruja. I don't know. She could have been such a good asset,
0: acknowledging her past.
1: Right. If, if the characters were allowed to be honest.
0: Yeah. She could have said, hey, look, you know, someone broke into my fucking room. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Took my shit. Then it it wouldn't be a dance of, like, what
1: we're allowed to know. It would be a plot about people who know things doing things
0: together. Yep. Working together to solve the problem, not hiding the mystery from the audience.
1: Yeah, that is the thing. It focuses so much on hiding what's going on and obfuscating it that it doesn't bother to tell a good story. I agree. Can we briefly mention like that while this is going on, Jason is on a side quest that doesn't matter? Oh, I don't even remember it. So, I wanted to track cuz like I said when I first read, started reading, I thought that this was going to be about Sirric and Jason mm-hmm. and their mutual journey out of trauma. And I <laughs> thought, which it should be because there's a lot of trauma, right? I thought this is what this book is about. So when I finished it and that wasn't what it was about, I was like, well, then what was Jason's arc? What was Jason doing here? So I highlighted literally every beat of Jason's story. What do you got? So the the problem is that, like, everybody thinks that what happened at Single Earth when somebody got shot was about them. Mm. Sarik thinks it's about her. No, Sarik does not think it's about her. Sarik did it. Well, that's true. But Sarik thinks Alicia is there because of her. Okay, okay, fair, fair. Elysia uh, thinks that the hit was about her, the bounty on her head, and Jason thinks it's about Maya coming back for him. Mm. So they're all operating with their different theories, and it makes the book way more confusing. It's a bunch of red herrings, and uh, Jason's is the red herringest of them all because he spends the book pursuing this Maya theory. And Maya is only involved to the extent that she can implicate Crawl, So the only thing plot-wise that Jason contributes is uh, Maya explaining to him who Sahara is. So like at this point in the book, we all know like that Sahara did the shooting and we know essentially why and what's going on. Jason yeah. does not.
0: Yeah, we've got to catch him the fuck up.
1: Yeah, Jason's plot is just about him getting caught up with the actual plot. Because his plot was a red herring. Jason's
0: plot is figuring out that his girlfriend shot him, but like being led there by the hand.
1: Right. So it's, it's a big old clusterfuck. And the culmination, and it's lots of finger quotes there, of Jason's plot is him confronting his abuser. Except that it's not a confrontation. It's not. He exhibits all the same behaviors that were instilled in him as a result of his abuse.
0: He's instantly back under her thumb, but she doesn't want him.
1: Nope. He never has the opportunity to confront her about what she did or even have the upper hand in the conversation.
0: Because she knows shit and he doesn't. Yep.
1: She drops a bomb on him. She pats (laughs) him on the head. Doesn't she
0: literally say, you've got nothing for me, so I'm out?
1: Yeah. And then she leaves and there is no emotional resolution there. And it's like, you are are bad at ARCs because this man (laughs)
0: should have had something. Yeah. Like, the next time we see him, he's just there supporting Sariq's fucking yeah. plotline. Because he's codependent, and he hasn't learned how to not be codependent. He was codependent on Maya. I mean, like, you know, he was in forced into submission. She enslaved him. Mm-hmm. She tormented him. She tortured him. She forced him and his, you know, vampiric siblings to kill people mm-hmm. at her whim, right? He was He was nothing. He was a pawn. He was not an important piece to her. Then he just, like, went on to Sarik and, you know, not let his life be controlled by another powerful woman, but, like, he just moved on to another another woman and we don't even know if he's the one that said, hey, we can go to Single Earth because that would have at least been something. Mm -hmm. It feels like he just disappears into whatever woman is around him as his plot. (laughs) And
1: it's a shame because of the character's trauma, I thought that Jason's was the one that seemed the most specific,
0: you know? It seemed the most plausible within this world. Yeah. And again, he was a pawn, not a knight. And so therefore, to me, that's more interesting. Yeah. He's like, she's trying to get me back. And it's like, no, not at all. No, she doesn't like, care. Ooh, ouch. The person who traumatized you, like, first off, you don't matter to them. Mm-hmm. They know where you are and they're not coming to take you away. And you thought they were going to. That's devastating.
1: Because
0: mm-hmm. you've spent six years of your life terrified. Mm-hmm. They're going to find you and take you away. And then, like, she literally just, like, comes back and do his life. Tells him, your girlfriend's been lying to you this whole time Mm -hmm. and you've got nothing that I want. I'm not going to take the job that you even want to give me. So, bye.
1: Right. Like, and you know what? If If that was some sort of emotional resonance to him where he's like, oh, I don't have to be afraid because she doesn't want me so I can move on. Or if it, he had the opportunity to be like, I am not going to do what you want me to. I'm going to, like, show you that I I have moved on. I I am past something. But neither of those things yeah. happen. He
0: just... Right. Not that I want her to be like, all right, Jason, you know, stop playing at being a fucking single earth mediator, my little, my little chihuahua. <laughs> Let's go. No. He doesn't get a chance to say, fuck you. This is my life. You don't get to control me.
1: Well... And specifically, the thing that is called out for him is that he anticipates people's needs, right? Like, he's had that beaten yeah, into him. very
0: service submission.
1: His whole fucking character hook is that he notices things about people and he makes a mental note of it in order to accommodate them. And you would think... That when he confronts or when he meets with his abuser for the first time in forever after he's had all of this opportunity to get away and theoretically grow, that he would not do that thing. Right? He
0: would notice the desire to get her what she wants and choose not to.
1: Because that would be anything.
0: Yeah. And I get it. It's hard. It's hard to not do what your abusers want. And, like, we see, you know, for Sariq that she falls right back into it. But I feel like because she falls back into it, Mm -hmm. it would have been nice to see Jason do any defiance to show that he could be the mate that she's looking for kind of thing. Yeah, Like, not that I want him to be her king, but how is he going to be her king? How is he going to be her equal when he can't stand up for himself like that? Even by being like, I'm going to get you motherfucking Earl Grey tea. (laughs) I'm not going to disrespect you in my house. But but, it's not going to be the tea I know you want. Right? I know that you're flagging a certain kind of fucking fandom right now, you goddamn weeaboo. (laughs) Listen, Maya was the best part of this book,
1: aside from Onyx being super dark. She is so worth harping on. I love it. She is. The dentist, den vampire that we see in this book, and I love it.
0: Yes, but he could have looked at it. He could have said, "Mm-hmm." She probably wants this or that, but you know what? Fuck her. She gets some fucking Tetley tea. Here you go.
1: <laughs> I got some Lipton for you.
0: Huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, honestly, and, and for her to for her to even say, "Not oh, I I thought it would have been clear that I wanted blah," but for her to say, "You know, I take." blah sugars and milk or whatever Mm and for him to just be like that's nice right just something and for her to maybe even a little bit respect it Mm
2: -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: just something just something so the the only
1: way that they contrast jason in this book like you're right absolutely the idea that sarik like falls into old patterns with her father and that christian we
0: expected her not to like that was the interesting part right
1: right um and that Jason doesn't and that that makes them a good match. Absolutely. That's great. That totally makes sense and would be good storytelling. The only way that they bother to sort of contrast Jason in the sense of his compatibility with Sahara is by showing us how much of a douchebag Christian is and yeah. how much better Jason is for Sahara than Christian, but that right. is unrelated. To Jason himself?
0: Yes. It's because Jason doesn't matter to Sahara. He's just a bobble hung on her character sheet.
1: <laughs> he Well, he, he matters to Sahara. He doesn't matter to the story that the author is telling with Sahara.
0: And previously, he wasn't even fucking involved in the end fight. Really? Was it just Christian? No, it was just her. Oh, really? Yeah. That is kind of what you would expect. Right? That's where the whole fucking the Mistari Law is whatever you fucking need in the moment.
1: Oh, yeah, because they just swapped it.
0: Yeah, it's like, oh, well, the law says that the mate can fight with. Okay. Yep. Why? (laughs) Who needs that? Your plot needs that? Fine. Does your plot even
1: need it? Is it like so... It doesn't
0: because it was only her plot. And is it so
1: inconceivable that Sahara wouldn't be able to stand up to her father physically? Like, I don't...
0: Like, I know I would have liked for her to have kept up with things, being afraid and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Of being like, you know what? If I need to defend myself, you know, maybe she goes running. Maybe she does, you know, whatever. Like, they've got so much territory there she could go out and be a tiger and run around and no one would say anything Mm -hmm. it would have been nice to see that she kind of like kept up where alicia had been out for two years and hadn't Mm -hmm. if she just you know liked being in shape that's fine some people do for her who is now no longer a teenager but an adult versus her father who's getting old and set in his ways for them to have just been an even match
1: Mm -hmm.
0: why didn't we do that
1: yeah, in this world where the relative scale of power is wildly subjective. Yeah. It it doesn't feel strange that Sahara might be able to take on her dad. I agree. I guess if you were trying to hone in on that relationship between Sahara and Jason, then I can see why you would want to include him there, but it's in this case- Especially it, since there's no reason otherwise to have him. Right. But in this case, it's not a cap on anything. Like, this doesn't feel like a culmination of their relationship or like- I'll stand beside you and we'll take down your abuser. Right? No. That wasn't a conflict between he them. couldn't even
0: fucking confront his abuser.
1: Right. And like, this was not something that they ever discussed being a problem between the two of them. This is a cap on nothing. It's just- No. A, a token gesture.
0: It's ridiculous. So, I forget where we're at. (laughs) So, so, right, Raven. She's there to get Alicia, but then she confirms it's Sahara. And I'm like, what is happening? (laughs) And, like, Alicia goes to Christian, and, and then it's like, oh, fuck, we gotta go. And then there's, like, an explosion at a gas station. And he ends up in the hospital and Raven ends up in the hospital or something. And Alicia ends up in Krall's fucking torture green room at Onyx Hall. <laughs> and that's when he's like, where's my daughter? And she sees this painting briefly oh that's important God. later for some reason. Then she gets out and like nobody stops her. She like steals a
1: car. She passes out and Raven, uh, which revives her. She gets a short rest, gets all her hit
0: points back. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And then she goes to Christian's house. So meanwhile, Sahara had decided that she was going to return to daddy so that she could say, Dad, I'm a queen now. These cubs are under my protection because for some reason she was worried he would want to take them in and make them like his new heirs, except that like immediately it becomes apparent that this nine-year-old doesn't fucking respect anybody and so therefore he would be a problem. And now she's like, oh no, he'll try to kill the kid. I'm like, you have thought nothing out. At all. And she presents herself with Christian. The Kids get dropped off at Christian's house. I forget how she even found Christian. Oh, right. He was in the hospital. And <laughs> she goes and talks to her dad and dad is like, fucking kid, go back to your room. So she does. Mm-hmm. Then when she gets up, Like, there's a brief moment where, like you said, like, oh, Jason never fed on her even though she said it was okay if he needed to as a vampire. Whereas Christian's like, I'm gonna snuggle. And she's like, are you fucking power energy sapping me right now? And he's like, yeah, shut up.
1: (laughs) Dude, Christian is fucking Captain Nonconsensual and I hate him.
0: Oh, he's the worst. It makes me so mad because I loved him. Oh, no. He was a good boy. And now he's the worst. He's real bad. So, when she wakes up, oh no fucking kevin dad's (laughs) fucking favorite flunky went to christian's house and stole the boys and is trying to present them to crawl and that's what happens what happens next
1: so while this is happening alicia goes to christian's house she finds the boys there uh this is before the boys get picked up by kevin and dropped off at onyx and she's like oh fuck Christian done got back with Sahara um, and she feels betrayed, even though they are not romantic partners. So I don't really get it. They're
0: not. Like, he even says, he's like, we've never been romantically or sexually involved. Physically, he says physically.
1: I don't want to dunk on male-female friendships, but if they are just friends, why does she care that he might be shacking up with his
0: ex? I agree. She even says, she's like, if I call this number and he picks up, I'm going to murder him. I'm like, he's not your husband. Nope. Not your boyfriend. You're not. You're not in a monogamous relationship. Yep. You two are just best friends forever. Yeah.
1: I mean, I get that you're mad at Sirik, but like, the, she does act like a jealous
0: girlfriend, and it's weird. Like, it is from the moment she calls him when she's at Raven's safe house, mm-hmm. and and says that if he answers, oh blah blah, I'm gonna be mad at him forever. And then she goes and sees the kids. It's from that moment that her character changes completely. Oh yeah. She stops being. A consistent character to me. Okay. Like you said, she's now acting like a jealous girlfriend. The the
1: fact that they were not romantically involved came as a surprise to me. Same. So her being jealous of Sarik was not weird because I thought
0: they were banging or had banged at one point. Right? Like she was 17 and he was probably like 18 or 19 and they hung out for four years and like- She lived at his house. Right? For four years she said she lived at his house. Again, this is fine. I live with my housemate. We're not romantically or physically involved. But, like, he has partners and everybody knows that. Like, people know we're just friends. Mm -hmm. So... Well, and there's energy
1: put into setting up, you know, oh, he's with Sirik, and they're sleeping together and that should make Alicia upset. So... Why? why if they're not partners why why so that's a whole weird thing that the book doesn't really resolve one way or the other but anyway so she she so she decides for some reason she's going to go to crimson's guild hall
0: because she's a member of all three so she can go wherever the fuck she wants
1: she, yeah she just goes and she decides she's going to drop in and she goes from there to going to frost frost guild hall yeah and she gets a plot hook, which was literally put there by nobody. Nobody put this hit out. It had to have been Ben just trying yeah, to push her along Yeah, he had to have just road. done this. Yeah. So it's literally like the author being like, come here, character. I need to give you the thing that will be the key to getting yeah, this plot to work. need a reason for you to figure this out. It's so shoddily put together.
0: Because everything on it is just like... Boy, I sure wonder why it's so low. Boy, I sure wonder why it's this way. Right? And it comes out of nowhere. And, like, nobody ever talks about this
1: painting until the moment it's necessary for the plot.
0: Yeah. Like, she sees it in the green room. It's mentioned briefly. And then she's like, wait, I saw that in the green room. Right? And then it's like, oh, that suddenly became relevant. So she she
1: looks into this, and it turns out that the thing that we probably could have just guessed based on Crawl as a person, yeah. The painting is evidence somehow that Crawl commissioned Maya to kill or torture. They actually don't ever really specify. Yeah,
0: Corey. <laughs> they don't specify which he hired her to do, and what the plan was, and why he would do it. Nope. They make vague gestures towards
1: it at the end where like, oh, the real reason he had Corey killed was
0: because she was evidence of his human blood. Right, and I'm like, this is bullshit and unnecessary and rolls back into the whole fucking gross crap that I have been railing against since it first came up in, I think, the Hawk song. It also comes out of nowhere. Right? No one cares. Who's going to be mad at you, Crawl? It's literally not your fucking choice.
1: There are so many things that they just throw at Crawl to make him a bad guy, and it's just like, which one's going to stick? Which
0: one do we need
1: at this moment?
0: Can't he just be weird to his daughter and have abused her and also abused, like, Christian and stuff like that? Like, physically? Like, can't he have just been, like, a cruel, demanding, harsh, icy cold assassin training children to be assassins (laughs) like isn't that enough you have to be like oh no i've got human blood like is that bad apparently because she would then also like i assume that she then has less human blood than you because her mom was full-blooded mustari but like would you not be a king if this was revealed just what does it matter
1: Like you said, the Mistari
0: stuff is there
1: for convenience, right? Like, he cares about Mistari pure-bloodedness until it's time to make Christian fuck Sahara. That's what I'm saying. That was not in previous drafts. The human thing or the painting? The human thing. Was the painting in previous drafts?
0: I think that might be my fault. Ollie! But I don't remember. I just remember the painting being added. Okay. I think, no, I think it's that Maya might be my fault. Why? Because I didn't know what the fuck was going on with this Cory girl and why it mattered. Uh Uh-huh. So I feel like I asked the question of, like, how is this all fucking tied together? (laughs) I would believe that as a question that you needed to ask,
1: because this is a big (laughs) basket full of disparate things. Yeah. But just know it was even more confusing previously. Amazing. Which is weird, because it feels like this book is just a series of Defenses as to to like beta readers' critiques as to why the plot should exist. Yeah, and so it's like if you had to work this hard to get it to work now, what was it back then, and how did it work? Conf- it was very confusing. Yep. So anyway. The point is, the entire point is that this is only to spur Sahara to finally stand up for herself and her dead sister. Right,
0: because it's revealed that it was all his fault and now she is doing it for the girl who got fridged at the beginning who has been treated as nothing. We have no fucking history with her and her sister. There's not flashbacks to her trying to protect her sister or anything like that. No. Never seen her alive. Yep, she's just some girl who was your sister. Mm-hmm. And you you know that
1: sisters matter to sisters, therefore I don't have to tell you anymore. Yeah. So Sahara asks Christian to stand with her. They're going to fight Kral because Sahara can't take him alone. But oh-ho-ho, ho, Jason has been told by his weeaboo master that <laughs> Sahara is responsible for everything
0: and also in trouble. He shows up at Onyx. He's like, hey, it's my girl. I'm gonna stand with her. Yep. But he's he's not he's not like that, but it's just what it fucking feels like.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they challenge crawl. Uh they do a big fight. It's like a fucking two pages of a fight, are you kidding? <laughs> and then the the author remembers that like Sahara's a mediator and has been trying to get away from violence her entire life. Oh my fucking god. So instead of fighting, Sahara begins to mediate the situation. To show that she's grown, and she talks crawl down uh remarkably easily, honestly, for the character crawl's been built up to be um thank you, yes, I agree, yeah, it's real weird. She just says like one kind of okay speech, she rolled like a like a twelve, I would say, yeah, and
0: crawl immediately gives up, he backs away, weird like fucking weird, so weird, I just imagine him like eyes wide and just like. Backing away, backing away, backing away. Homer Simpson. Yeah. Yeah. Into the fucking shadows.
1: And then he stands there to answer questions and then he leaves. Yeah. Sahara had invited Sarda to come watch this because we need to put a button on the whole where, what are people going to do with their lives thing? Uh, Mm -hmm. Because that has been a sub, sub, sub theme. Krull is no longer going to lead Onyx so we're going to have a challenge but it's strongly implied that Christian is going to be the one to take over. That's going to leave Frost open so
0: Elysia decides that she's going to throw her hat in the ring for that even though she has not been training for two years. Nope. And it's been very clear that she's out of shape. Like she comments on it repeatedly.
1: They they talk about it all the time. I assume just so that it's finger quotes more believable when uh she and Christian just get sacked immediately.
0: Yeah. But it it makes her being like, then I'm gonna, you know, run frost. It's like, if Frost didn't need you to physically fight, if Frost was just you being like, here's my plan on how to run Frost and people are like, all right, cool. I mean (laughs) that is essentially what happens. I mean, that's how it feels like, but we know that's not how it works with challenge. You don't have to run it to do the shit that she wants to do. She could just approach whoever wins challenge and is like, yo, let me fucking reorganize. This is what I want to do. Are you cool with it? Let's go. Yeah, but she wants to run it. <sighs> Hate it. <laughs> so. Continue. all right, Sorry.
1: Yeah. Jason and Sahara go back to single earth. They're not going to be mediators anymore, but they're going to be, they're like going to find a middle ground. And there is a very twee epilogue where we're given the theme of like, what happens next is your choice, which was not something that I was aware the group was discussing.
0: No, I didn't think that that was uh, not going to happen.
1: But the book hammers home on that as though that is what the book has been about. Yeah. It's your choice. It's your choice. It's your choice. Yep. So the only thing of, of plot relevance that happens is the epilogue for Elysia, where uh she says that Christian won the challenge for Onyx, leaving Frost open, and implies that she is just the default leader, even though challenge wasn't supposed to happen for Frost for like two months. Yeah. And then we get this weird thing where it's like a twist that Ben, the IT guy from the beginning of the book, is A, the guy who runs uh, the Frost computer stuff, even though the fact that that was a role and a secret was only made known to
0: us in like the last couple of chapters. Right? This wasn't something that we knew about from like Midnight Predator.
1: Nope. And B, he's Sarda's son. Something this is like an
0: Easter egg nobody asked for. Yeah.
1: Nobody asked for this. Nobody my notes literally just say
0: who cares? Nobody. Well, and also, why is he revealing this to her? Because he has a boner for her. Well, I mean, obviously. He's <laughs> extremely, extremely into her. And clearly has been since he was like eight. Yeah, creepy. It's just it's weird. It's like you would think revealing that you are the son of the lady who is in charge of all three guilds mm-hmm. would be like fucking verboten. <laughs> your mom's gonna fucking smack you for this. Right? But he just he says it to literally impress her because
1: the epilogue is from his point of view for some I reason. I know
0: all 3 of these fucking epilogues are from nobody that we care about's point of view. It's right? what it's Lindsay, the the tree stay witch and we get again another another easter egg nobody fucking asked for where it's revealed that like this is her land that the fucking thing is on so it's from Lindsay's point of view and then jet the fucking nine-year-old's point of view and then ben's point of view
2: Mm -hmm.
0: also of note the whole chapter where sahara
1: was fighting her dad something that was vitally important to her character
0: development Mm -hmm. and her Mm -hmm. story Mm -hmm. from alicia's point of view yep so that that is where i was like oh i'm remembering now that scene You know, Jason shows up because he has to because he's been a point of view character. Christian is there because she asked him because he has to be because he was a point of view character. Mm -hmm. Alicia has no fucking function in this chapter. So let's have it from her point of view because she's been a point of view character. This is where I was like, this needed to just be Sarik Sahara's story. Mm -hmm. There's no reason for it to be from Alicia's point of view. Well, and because of that,
1: the flow of the chapter is interrupted several times. Constantly! Elysia tries to interfere in something that has nothing to do with her.
0: Yeah, and and like she makes a comment about like, I can't just stand here and and watch people I like, kind of like get pummeled. You've known them for less than a convention. <laughs> okay, that's not how this works. You might be like, mm, I don't like it, but you literally know how this works. This is Mastari Law, right? You're you're interfering in something that you shouldn't. Um, the other thing uh, worthy of note is that uh, this is another chapter where I thought Alicia was extremely out of character mm-hmm. because the author is utterly incapable of dropping references without sounding extremely oh awkward. Yep. There's the line from again Alicia's point of view: they could all dish out pain like spam from a can. What the fuck? What are you doing? Is this just fucking bacon again? (laughs) You just want to fucking mention meat? The tech speak in this book is excruciating. Oh, God. Alicia's weird comments are excruciating. I missed Saw 3D intentionally. Who are you? Like, literally, Alicia remarked to no one in particular trying to cover for a twisting stomach. You're a fucking hardened killer. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Also, why is the fact that they're fighting to the death over stuff shocking to you? You were in Bruha. That's how you're they decide leadership, world,
0: right? You, you've been. You're a level three in Onyx. You kill people for a living. Unbearable. And then, like, there was a moment uh, after Jason and Ben and the one, the other tree stay who wasn't Lindsay and doesn't therefore doesn't matter got shot. Where Ben's like muttering something about llamas and i'm like i know that is very specifically a fucking meme from like the early 2000s that this kid is referencing because again you know like the author just thinks it's like funny
2: Mm -hmm.
0: but it makes it unbearable It, it is ben's stuff is absolutely terrible
1: they do that um that old people tv show thing where somebody will say a very basic thing about computers, and then the other person will go, uh, 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 speak English. I don't know the words
0: that you're saying. Right? Christian is like, had one point of view chapter where he was like, oh, basically everything she's saying is gibberish. Like, oh my God. And she's like, we have to move into the future. The future's digital. And then like, and yet when Ben talks, she's like, I don't understand what he's saying. And I'm like, could you just not? Could people who don't know computers just not? I don't like having computers in my shit uh, and technology, like characters who really know that, because I don't know it. But I know enough to know when it sounds
1: like it's awful. It, when it sounds like it's being written by a Grampy? Yeah. 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 No, this, the tech stuff is excruciating, particularly from someone of the same generation as us, who should have a basic understanding of like how people talk about computers and how people talk about things on the internet like i'm older by
0: like a year or two and i'm bad at tech and i know that it doesn't make that much sense and i'm sure someone who knows tech like looked at it and said yeah that's all true but it's the way it's written right it like they're not talking about it in a way that makes sense
1: no they're talking about it in the way that like The people and hackers talked about it in the 90s, you know.
0: (laughs) It's the thing where two people reach over and start typing on the keyboard. Yeah, right.
1: It is. It really is. It's that kind of vibe. And it's a wild level of weird
0: ignorance if you're A, going to have a hacker guild and I thought that was important. a cool idea. Yeah. Like, I definitely think the idea of Frost being like a hacker guild and being like, we're going to take out people's identities and we're going to like tear down all their money and that's how we're going to do our assassin shit. Cool. Mm hmm.
1: But like, you should probably
0: try to sound
1: like you know what you're talking about. Right. So, yeah. Uh, do you, would you like to know what mm-hmm. the author says this book is about? Yeah, I sure would. Okay. So, uh, apparently, Amy went to Comic Con. It was interviewed there.
0: Oh, all right. Yeah. I feel like um, I've seen a picture of that recently when I was looking around for a picture.
1: Yeah. So they were talking about Poison Tree and they said, the notion that people are individuals and they are going to all have their individual dreams and everyone around you thinks they know who you are. And I'm not saying that as an existential, nobody really knows you thing. It's just that people always see a limited view of each other because we are not in each other's brains. You have Mm -hmm, to respect mm -hmm. people for who they are, whether or not you get it. And sometimes that means telling your parents, hey, yeah, family business, no. Or worse, you know, I'm going to college, even though you don't support that. Or I'm not going to college, or I'm going to become a mechanic, and that makes me happy. That's really hard. (laughs) And it's hard on both sides, both on the side of the individual saying, Yeah, I know it's going to hurt you that I made this decision. I hope you'll get it someday. And on the side of the individual going, Why? I think I know better for you. I think you're making a bad decision and you're going to get hurt, but I need to let you do it. And I think that's an important message on both sides.
0: Okay, so Jason absolutely needed to be a girl. What? Why? Like, if part of this, like, first off, that's not really what happens, but if part of this is, this is my choice. This is my decision. Just have it also be like, you need to be here and be, you know, be a queen and carry on the lineage, etc., etc. Fucking why not have her also be a queer character? Sure. Yeah. If if that's what you're going for, sure. Right? Like, don't be fucking vague about it. <laughs> like, how much more interesting would this story be if you could be like, oh, and also the main protagonist is queer. We don't know if she really likes dudes, but she's like with a girl.
1: Mm-hmm. Well and, and then that that makes the move of like no
0: I'm Sahara's partner
1: more of a significant thing, you know. Yeah,
0: if if they had ever so and that could have leaned into the whole um where we said this wasn't something that ever came up with them, right? Mm-hmm. If part of the conti- um contention between them had been my father would have never accepted you mm-hmm. as my mate and for, you know, girl Jason to be like that doesn't fucking matter. There's no reason like, you're never going to need his approval. I'm never going to have to, like, be your mate. We're here. We're in singular. This mm-hmm. is our life now. And for her, for Sahara to hear that as, I wouldn't stand with you if you needed to challenge your father. Yeah. So that when girl Jason shows up and is like, fuck you, Christian, guy I've never met, <laughs> but have heard about because I know, you know, she didn't want to have you as her mate. Uh, I'm her mate. Fuck you. I'm standing by your side.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm
0: how cool would that have been? Great scene. Yeah. And
1: I also feel that like, this feels more true of Elysia's story, where the whole thing about I'm going to college and maybe Christian doesn't understand that. And like, right, because she chooses to go to college and Christian thinks that's oh, that's weird. Right. And, and the idea that she wants to work in both Frost and Single Earth. And that's the desire that she expresses early. And yeah. in the end, she finds a way to make that work. Like, that resonates more for Elysia's story. Yeah, but
0: and that should be a separate story.
1: But Sahara's disagreement with her father is that he killed her sister and beat her on the wreck.
0: <laughs> that is not a disagreement. <laughs> That's an entirely That is different not thing. That is not dad. I know we just have to agree to disagree that you're a fucking
1: monster. <laughs> right? That is not my dad wants me to take over the family business. That is, my dad wants me to take over the family business, so he beat me and killed
0: my sister. Like, right? That, like, because what I was, while reading it, I kept thinking to myself, this is so clear that he did it because he wanted to take away the only thing he saw as weakness to her. Mm -hmm. She didn't fucking care about Christian. So obviously he wasn't worried that Christian was going to be a weakness. In fact, he might have chosen Christian because, like... She didn't seem super attached to him, mm-hmm. just knew him. He, like, grew up in their their little tribe.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: But, like, Corey was a weakness for her, in his opinion. And so I could see him being like, yeah, here's what we're going to do. You're going to take her, and you're going to kill her. Mm-hmm. That's it. And then just, like, dump the body. It seemed so clear that he was trying to get rid of the only thing that she cared about.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So that she would his perfect little
1: assassin right because that's a dad assassin move you kill the puppy you kill the falcon we all know this yeah yeah but like these things are not the same and they should not be uh like trying to compete for thematic resonance in the same story that doesn't work
0: yeah because alicia didn't have like she had trauma because every character has trauma but she didn't have motherfucking trauma right She had one incident where a boy broke into the house. She recognized him as an older classmate and they like fell down the stairs and she'd had a knife and thought like, and and he, he died by accident. Yep. That's traumatic. Mm -hmm. That sucks when you're 13. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, you know, and she talked about like, and nobody cared that I'd killed a dude? Like, yeah, no, you should have gotten some motherfucking therapy and been able to say, nobody cares that I killed a dude. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is how she fell into the stuff. But like, she then went on to keep killing people. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. This isn't, I have trauma over I killed a dude and nobody cares. And every time I kill, I keep thinking about how, and nobody cares. And in fact, they pay me for it. No, that did not matter.
1: No. The the only thing that Alicia e- says in reference to her reason for staying at Frost and being at Frost is that it's a a challenge like that's yeah. that's all she says it's a challenge she is driven by that yep and when she goes to single earth she finds responsibility and that is a nice change but like the fact that being at the Bruhat guilds is a challenge doesn't really tie into her
0: trauma no and so therefore her trauma isn't like ptsd
1: yeah and it's it's not really relevant to what the character is doing in this story, so why are we talking about it? Exactly.
0: It's like, how did you get involved in Bruja? Oh, well, when I was 13, I accidentally killed this kid who'd broken into my house and, um, like, nobody cared because it was an accident. So at that point, I just didn't fucking understand how the world worked. But thank God I fell into the Bruja guilt (laughs) because it gave me focus in life. Because they paid me to kill people. Right? They I learned how to kill people. (laughs) And, right? They care. They like it when you kill people. <laughs> I just wanted somebody to have a reaction one way or the other. And their their reaction is positive reinforcement. So I'm going to keep doing that. Right. So I make some works. good money. It's great. Yeah, this works out for me, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. Right. No, their stories are so different. Yeah. They're paired together because they've always been paired together. And that does a disservice, especially to Sariq's story. Very much so. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's all I got. That's a fucking book. Um, I mean, there's like casual fucking racism.
1: Oh shit! Yeah, no, the Mistari being inherently violent—that's
0: a problem. Yeah. And like the dad is abusive, and you're just like, this is this is awesome. I love this for you. Mm-hmm. And and there is some lip service
1: paid to the idea that like oh hashtag not all Mistari. some yeah. Mistari <laughs> tribes are artisans and painters and stuff but like literally every Mistari that is featured in this book is from a tribe where
0: violence is part of like their culture yeah i mean even in persistence of memory like um, marissa's cousins were hunters right yeah so like maybe that's a problem, and you can't get out of it by just saying, "Oh no, but they're good ones too," right? Because you don't show him to us. You've only shown us Marissa's cousins who were hunters and got killed. Mm-hmm. Marissa, who is like, and her, her, and her cousins and family and whatever had escaped the way, say, the same way Sahara now, Sariq escaped. So, like, that's not the tribes that are nonviolent. Mm-hmm. And then you get into this book, and it's you know two little boys who come from a tribe that is violent. And the reason they are here is because there was a violent coup that killed their king father. And nobody wants to accept them because they're afraid that these children will kill them. (laughs) Yeah, will grow up and be like, fuck you, you're too weak to lead. I will will lead. And, you know, Sahara grew up in violence. There's like a fucking comment at one point about like metal stilettos that she's wearing. Oh my god. uh, The heels that she'd once killed a man with. And you're just like, great. How old were you, 12? That's very good. That's well. She had to have been because only a twelve-year-old would kill somebody that way. It's true, and and then of course, like you said, and then there's Kral, who is also violent. We see none of these supposed non-violent tribes members, and I'm pretty sure in the Mavra we don't either. So, where
1: are they? They were around for five minutes in the Kieshara, and That's about it. That's true.
0: But no, that was the that was the Disa. So that was the queen. So she doesn't have to be. Everybody oh, right. just works for them. It's a fucking pyramid scheme. <laughs> always. Always a pyramid scheme. They get the privilege of nonviolence, I would say. Mm-hmm. But in my opinion, that makes them violent as well. Well, yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: Yeah, they sanction this shit. Exactly. I think the the biggest problem for me is it's not just like they came from abusive parents or they came from which would still be a problem if those are your only like people of color shapeshifters. Correct. But, like, specifically, per Sahara, it is the culture. Onyx is specifically run as a Mistari tribe. Yeah. These boys specifically came from a Mistari culture of violence. Like, and the fact that they are people of color makes that a problem. Yeah. Where you're just like, I understand that you don't mean it, but you did it. But you're literally telling me that these tribes of people of color are inherently more
0: violent. Like, she has to say at the end that, like, I'm going to find a way to, to make it easier for people to work with the Mistari. That's my goal for Single Earth. Mm-hmm. And just like, cool, I'm so glad that at least it's, you know, someone from within the Mistari who wants to do this. Sure. But, like... <sighs> Not great. Nope. It's so hard to look at this book because it's two books that happen to happen at the same time.-, mm-hmm. and each of the books is worse
1: for it. yes, once again, very frustrating that this book, which has obvious structural and thematic problems as uh with Token of Darkness, was just published when I feel like. You, like, a, an editor such as yourself or Eddie, any <laughs> Eddie, good
0: editor would look at this and be like, we need to talk. We need to talk. We need to separate it into two books. I know it's been this book for 12 fucking years of your life. You got two books here. <laughs> Did you know? Why don't we have some of these characters repeat and we'll, like, use them in the second book? Because that's okay. You've built this world where your characters can repeat like look raven's back from midnight we knew about her like mm-hmm. just, just just
1: do that or or do the turquoise thing where like one person's thing is going on in the foreground and then maybe there's something going on in the background but it's not super vital to the story that's going on in the foreground yeah. like but yeah no, it's it's
0: pretty rough yeah oh um you talked about how uh the book was like oh right she's a mediator uh, so Sarik has already been monologuing for a little bit and you know Kral is like talking and she interrupts him and is like listen to yourself and Alicia thinks she's gonna try to talk him down she's gonna mediate the situation mm-hmm. cause we're dumb but and re- we don't understand what's happening well, but when I read that line it felt like watching the fucking anime uh-huh. so, where characters are like oh oh my god he's gonna use blah 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 <laughs> Where she's like, oh shit, she's gonna mediate! Everybody watch <laughs> oh, out, yeah! <laughs> Get out of the way! I was dying, I had to put the book down. <laughs> I'm like, shit, she's gonna mediate! It's her su- super secret special power. <laughs> right, she's
1: gonna release her mediate. Gami, <laughs> me, <got> me ah! <laughs> Oh, so funny! I'm gonna look you in the eye and speak calmly. <laughs> I'm using nonviolent
0: communication. <laughs> it is the only thing that can defeat your violence, <laughs> <laughs> which it does. The fucking magical girls. <laughs> He's fucking super effective. He's weak to that. <laughs> Talking crawl can't handle that shit. <laughs> he looks so scared as he as he slinks away. Backwards, wondering, what's happening? Why are people talking? Ah! My powers are fading. <laughs> he sleeps away backwards in the dark and just
1: falls off the stage somewhere.
0: <laughs> falls into the pits. Pit. Pitch black and nobody can fucking see. <laughs> and you just hear, I'm
1: okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. And then just like everybody, like, we don't care. <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> Oh, oh my god, Ollie, he falls into the orchestra pit, where they still have
0: a bunch of instruments of course, and stuff that nobody is they bothered to yes. move. Because, you know, better to have it there, what if you need to crawl through an orchestra and dark? <laughs> <laughs> no, like they...
1: Put it there as like a <laughs> test for people. It's
0: like, can you make it through the orchestra pit without <laughs> smashing your toe on something? Oh my god, it's fucking Hunchback in Notre Dame where it's like, go ahead, pick the pocket, don't ring a bell. Mm. <laughs> Oh, uh, but he ch- he like clangs on everything and they're like, Carl, you're out. You can't be the leader of all anymore. Wouldn't that be great if
1: that's what he was doing? Like he was training somebody and like, that's how we know that he's super old is he can't do it without banging on the tuba. I love it. Oh, good stuff. <laughs> Uh, I feel like we haven't laughed this episode. I know, right? It's, it's such a bummer. But there were some good stuff. Like, remember how that one lady has
0: chopsticks in her hair that are poison on the end? Poison tipped is not just like wa- like wearing off in your fucking hair, I guess. No, nope.
1: you're not poisoning yourself. She had throwing daggers along her wrist. She's got a katana and an elaborate hilt. Yep, yeah, she had a kimono on. God, what a nerd. How did Jason not just
0: immediately give her a wedgie? <laughs> like I'm looking at this going, I appreciate on one hand that like you're one of the most skilled and deadly assassins <laughs> in the modern era. I love that line, the modern era. Mm-hmm. And that you're just, like, practically fucking popping bubblegum. Right? I do love that. You are the kind of character that I want to see in movies. (laughs) Right? Like, I do appreciate that
1: your whole shtick is very silly, and we need that in this book. On the Mm. other hand...
0: What are you doing in this book? (laughs) (laughs) I've cringed out of my skin. (laughs) Right? He brings her green tea because she's fucking flagging it, you know? I'm just like, what is? Ha- and I think that's really where the the fucking tryhards are, feel weird when you're in like this kind of story that's so super serious, mm-hmm. and then fucking Maya shows up and she's just like, "Hey, cutie, what's up? Let's go over here. And get me some tea, okay? Oh, <laughs> did you figure out who your girlfriend is? Okay, I'm gonna go now. Bye. Hi, hi, Watashiwa, Maya. <laughs> and he's like, "You're not Japanese." <laughs> She's like, I know. (laughs) But what are you going to do about it? Because I will literally kill you. (laughs) (laughs) With my poison hair tips. (laughs) (laughs) What a loser. I want her to just have, like, the biggest fucking fake eyelashes on with, like, stars on the end. Oh, my God. Yes. (laughs) Like, what are you doing here?
1: It's too much. It's too much. Oh, I did love that the frost complex was just a series of suburban houses connected by tunnels. I want to live there, frankly. May I ask why? (laughs) Pourquoi? (laughs) I I don't know. There's no need for it. Why do you not just have an office building somewhere or a warehouse? Like, why are you in the suburbs? No, because it's in the suburbia.
0: No one will suspect it here.
1: But you are inherently drawing attention because you have a lot of people coming to these three houses. like
0: Because people like Raven show up and they're just like, what the fuck is this?
1: I don't understand. This is not under the radar at all because your weird nerdy assassins are still going to go to
0: these houses. Right? Like, I can see. Like, I've watched enough fucking weird movies with weird assassins in them, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Just imagine some of the ones you've seen showing up there, right? Imagine fucking Maya showing up there. Exactly, right? They're open carry katana. <laughs> katana. She's like, this is not foam core. This is real. <laughs> you, you can't peace bind it. It's not peaceful. <laughs> oh no! I'm a vampire. I can rip your little fucking zip tie off. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I would I would totally live there with friends where it's like we each had, you know, our own houses, but they're connected. Oh, yeah.
1: Everybody wants their friends' houses to be connected by tunnels or teleport. Yeah, yeah but not
0: my assassin Guild
1: headquarters. No, you you get Assassin's Guild, you get a hotel, you get yeah. a warehouse, you know, a Holiday Inn, man, a big
0: old mansion. You know, give them the, the top floor of several hotels. We're connected by Skywalk. Yeah, that'd be sweet. For a book that could have been super fucking ridiculous, it did not have nearly enough ridiculous.
1: Yeah, I wish it had leaned into the ridiculousness. Although, here we are, um, book number 2012, Asking for Growth, and now we're sitting here like, no, no, why isn't it
0: stupid like it was in the beginning? I want that. because it was- it's because it's neither. Again, like I said, we can ask for both because either be one or the other, either be, have fucking growth or just fucking like revel in it. Just like, just smear it all over <laughs> me and just be like, mm, I'm so weird. Look at my fucking try-hard assassins. Like, go for it. So that we could at least have fun with it. God, I just wanted to laugh. I just wanted to talk about this book <laughs> and be like, look at this ridiculous fucking story.
2: Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. at least that's fun. Mm-hmm. At least that's entertaining. We knew these were going to be a fucking bummer, man. I, 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 uh, you'd commented to me, too, about how the, the plots are all, um, what was the phrase you said we've used a couple times now? Solving it? We talk about the solutions to the plot. Solutions. Yes, because you and I will talk about, like, I can fix it with this. That's different from the solution. And I hadn't realized that that was, like, so much of a thing with the new den. Yeah, and it will be interesting to see how it is for promises to keep, because like we both know how that one goes. But like, is it gonna be similar? All just glass didn't have a solution.
1: It did have a little, a little trick where they pretended to kill Sarah.
0: Yeah, but that felt like rules lawyering. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> being like, mm, well, technically, I can do this. All right, fine. <laughs> so much as like. The solution of it,
1: right? Right. This is a
0: a story
1: that does not have a a story. It's a puzzle that has a solution.
0: Yeah, but I I'm not reading, you know, a fucking whodunit on this one, so I I don't want that. <laughs> also, it's not a good whodunit. No, because literally, her and she's lying. Yes. <laughs> she yeah, very frustrating. Don't fucking lie to me like that. Mm-hmm. So. Would you recommend this book? Nope. Me neither. Cool. (laughs) It needs so much work. It's bad. It's held together with scotch tape.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Fucking, what would you call it? Plot spackle? Mm Mm-hmm. If a book has to pause and explain to you why what's happening makes sense, that's plot spackle. That's a bad GM.
0: Yep, 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 yep. All right. Next time, we will talk about Promises to Keep, Season 10, Episode 4, where the whole den of shadows supposedly wraps up. We'll see. Which is funny because you know the next time we get back around to this author, we've got some fucking prequel books. Uh. All right, I'm Ollie, and you can find me on Twitter at Olivia Hennis, and the podcast is there as well. Backlist podcast, please come talk to us. Mm-hmm. Please mm-hmm. read, listen to our back, our backlist. You know, <laughs> and and. Talk about any of those books. We're always ready to talk about any of those books.
1: Ollie, in this episode being like, this is a bad episode. I know it. Go listen to a good episode.
0: Go, go listen to the Vampire Diaries. We're much funnier there.
1: <laughs> Nothing is ever going to hit the beautiful heights of ridiculousness that Vampire Diaries did. We're never going to get that back. It's kind of sad. <laughs> oh, the good old days. Hmm. <laughs> How about you? Where you at? Uh, I am on Twitter at Endless Underscore Run. You can also find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash backlist and chill. Awesome.
0: All right. We'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye.
1: Hey, folks. Sina here. Uh, My portion of the audio on this next part got lost, but Ollie was the one with the stories, so we're including it anyway. Uh, I was able to edit it so that it mostly makes sense, but I did have to go robo a couple of times, so mm, prepare yourself.
0: Okay, so, do you want me to talk about the movie?
1: Yes, please.
0: So, the plot was mostly, like, so there were characters who had been shot, um, something I kept expecting to see in this book but never got brought up was that the tree stay was shot in the hand. And that, like, that was a non-fatal wound, but, like, it was a pretty devastating wound for a tree stay because they, like, worked with their hands. And so it was like, oh, you've been taken out of this situation because, like, you don't have access to your magic as much. I think Lindsay may have even been the one that got shot in the hand. Um, Jason, who was previously, I think, Michael... Was a vampire, and he got hit with Firestone, but he was hit somewhere that it wouldn't immediately hurt him. And then, like, somebody, not Ben, because Ben was a new character, was a human, or, a, or maybe there was a shapeshifter, but, like, somebody else got hit. And again, it was non-fatal, but it did, like, kind of take them out of the situation. And it was Sarique trying to, like, frame Alicia over the course of a couple attacks so like single earth had been more specifically targeted it wasn't this immediate boom 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 i've hit three people i don't remember like how christian came back into things but like i think like they just kind of ran into each other or something i don't know but it was just it was just the two girls and their fucking plot and sarik needing to go back and confront her father and Alicia, I think, needing to go back and, like, take over one of the guilds kind of thing. And, um, so first of all, like, Diana Smoke was the Lindsay character, and that was the character I played. But the romance with Jason didn't even really fucking exist. Christian and Alicia were much more heavily implied to have been kind of a thing and headed back towards being a thing. Corey, I think, was just a friend. The two tiger cubs didn't exist. And, like I said, Ben wasn't there. And I think there were, like, two other mediators. Like, I think there was a mediator from every type of being or something. And I guess there kind of were here, right? There was a Tree Stay, and then there was a Smoke Witch, but but that was Diana, and she wasn't in this. And a human, and then a tiger. Yeah, I guess there were five. But still, it it felt like there were more people involved in Single Earth.
2: From the summary on the old website, it apparently happened during a big Single Earth gathering. Where there was like one representative from each magical line,
0: I think that might be true. Because the the whole Haven Number Four thing felt really weird to me. And again, my memory is very, very shaky on this, but I don't remember that being like just one of them. It felt like Haven Number Four was maybe the big one. So it, it was definitely much more of like an important Haven as opposed to this one, which feels just like meh. Somewhere out in, I don't know, Western Massachusetts.
2: Was Sahara always the shooter?
0: Oh, God, yes. (laughs) It was always her wanting to frame Alicia. But I feel like she was not a mediator for long. I think maybe she'd only been there for, like, six months or something. Like, in Singular. Like, I feel like the timeline was a lot shorter as far as, like, when she had left Onyx. Again, I could be wrong, but my my favorite ridiculous scene that was like half in the book, I remember I mentioned to you, I hope it's in here, the scene where her and Christian wake up in her room at the hall and she like doesn't have any clothes. So she's going to like put on her old clothes first off. I think it's so funny that like she was 16 and now she's 22 and it's like you would have had a fucking growth spurt in there, kid. The, the, ga- the, the girl who was the young lady who was playing Sahara was always playing the character as the, uh, quote-unquote, a more unlikable version. She, she seemed to have a lot of fun with this character in this scene, but, like, the moment you see her go from being, like, mild-mannered, but still kind of unlikable, Sariq, which is really just to say, like, she knew her shit and, like, had opinions, Sariq, um, and then she fucking comes walking out and, like, Leather and velvet and gold and shit like that, and just like leaning into the Sahara personality as if Sahara was the character. And Sariq was just like a fucking name she like threw on for a time. Whereas just it and her hair all like long and shaggy rather than like being tied back in a braid. It was just so fun and ridiculous to me to go from like, here's our little mediator, to being like, here's fucking wild child, you know? <laughs> or, this kitty has claws. So I, I felt like having that scene in there where like, she puts on all the fucking gold, including all of the earrings. I was just like, why do you have that here? She didn't need to do that. She could have just been like, uh, I'm just gonna put on, I guess, this seems the least scandalous. My god, I was 16. Like, that would have just been more fun to me in the book. Um, but in the movie, it was very fun because the actress got to just, like, embrace who Sahara was. It really was putting fucking 16 gold hoop earrings that made me be like, but why? You could just have put on a shirt and some pants and walked around barefoot. I feel like she, like, my memory is that she put that on and went back to face him. That it was like, fuck you, I'm going to re-embrace who I was instead of this, like, fake personality. And I'm going to put all this shit on because that's the girl he remembers and this is my empowerment. Like, it was very... It felt much more battle armor. Plus, also, now I'm realizing she probably was wearing that when she fought him. It's like, are you fucking fighting him in stilettos? What superhero bullshit is this? But she did fight crawl alone. Maybe... Uh, Kester was the the guy who played Christian. Maybe he was involved in the beginning, but, like, got taken out immediately. (laughs) Like, I can't remember. I feel like if it happened, it would have happened that way. But, like, she faced him, and she fought him, and she won. Like, she had him ready for death blow kind of thing, and, like, stopped herself from killing him. I think in one of those moments of, like, your culture doesn't have to be my culture, I can choose not to kill you, and Mm. All of this is so weird because I can't remember fully, but it feels like the kind of thing that in this world where if someone showed you mercy, it would mean that, like, you weren't, I don't know, worthy of killing or something or whatever. But, like, it would track for me. If she showed him mercy and didn't kill him, that he then would have to fucking tuck tail and run away. Like, that seems like a thing. So I know she didn't kill him because I didn't have to do that gore makeup. (laughs) But... I feel like she had him at a point where she could and chose not to, and that that was the big character thing of one I can fucking take you, two I'm choosing not to kill you, and he and he left. You know, I wish I could remember who played Sarta, but I know Amy played Raven. I think I'm pretty sure Amy played Raven. There, but but Raven wasn't a big character. She had literally one scene at the end where like Sarta and Raven sanctioned that crawl was no longer the leader of Onyx. It was it was just a, like, one scene kind of thing. I don't know. We, we had fun. Oh, God. So we filmed the scene with Corey. Um, Amy's family had just moved from Concord to another town. And uh, they hadn't moved moved yet, but they had the house. So we filmed everything in this house and on this, this property and then in other people's houses and things like that. So we had, like, a lot of really empty rooms. And I remember filming the torture scene where it was just shown in like, like flashes of like being, hit. you know, um, Nicole was the girl who played Alicia and, um, Corton played Crawl. So it was just like flashes of like it looking like him hitting her and asking, you know, where is she and things like that, blah, blah, blah. That was all like filmed in like a random fucking back room in Namie's basement. But then the scene with Corey she was being fed on by four different vampires. And I just remember feeling really kind of weird and bad about it because one of our vampires was played by her brother. So, like, we had her brother, like, at her wrist. This poor girl had, like, her arms spread out, a vampire from behind on each side of her neck, and then, like, a vampire on each of her wrists feeding on her. And I'm just like, I feel so bad that, like, your brother is just like... I mean, he was, you know, it's nothing... It's nothing bad, but like Amy just like turned to me and Sam and was just like, "So when you see it, it's a lot kinkier than I was expecting." <laughs> it was like I just feel bad that it's her brother, but again, it was just it was just a rest. Um, it rained so much that summer. Every time we tried to film outside, it was fucking raining, which worked for the shooter scenes because they were like supposed to be in the rain. And there were definitely times where we're like, well, let's do the scenes that are supposed to be in the rain, I guess. But I did note when reading the book that it was, like, in December, and I'm like, oh, snow, that's weird to me. I don't associate this book with snow. <sighs> but yeah, I felt, I felt like adding the cubs was a good idea. It really gave Sarik something to attach to. And so, I, like, I understand why she wasn't truly Sahara. But I do miss that character. She was ridiculous and fun. Um I remember Maya was this short chubby gal. She was fun. I wish I could remember her name. I wish I could I wish I had my script. I wish I had any of this information. I wish I had more pictures. I, have, I just don't have anything. And I barely even have memories. The the film doesn't exist. I don't think I've mentioned this to online uh or rather on the podcast, but the film doesn't exist because um like Sam's computer crashed and it like lost all of his work either a couple days or a week before the premiere. And then, like, he just lost all energy for it. Probably because I was pissed. Because, <laughs> like, we get to the fucking premiere, and I think this was maybe the first I had heard about this thing, because no one was telling me stuff, because Amy and I broke up shortly after this movie. We filmed. I was fucking crazy. I'm allowed to say that, because I'm allowed to call myself that. Um, shit went down with the den. And then we broke up. And, like, we didn't fucking talk. Whole bunch, and then there was this fucking premiere in November. I brought like two friends as guests, but like I get there and I'm told that like all of this happened, and then like most of the scenes are me, and I fucking hate my face, and I'm just like very mad about this.
2: So there was still something to watch at the premiere?
0: Yeah, I still we saw like maybe like six scenes. There were some fight scenes, and then like the scenes with me because I'm playing fucking Diana Smoke, which is the Lindsay character are just like mediator table scenes. (laughs) So they're boring as fuck. Um, I remember I healed Nicole, Alicia, because they, Single Earth got her back after she was beat the shit by Crawl, And we had my friend, Mike, who had helped with the gore makeup that day um, because he was doing a lot of bruising work. And so (laughs) to show that I was healing her, Mike literally like came in while Sam was filming like other people like above and whatnot. And Mike would just come in and just, like, wash shit off Nicole. <laughs> and that's how I healed her. Because <laughs> it was low budget. We didn't have any special effects. It was like, oh, you're all bloody and gross. And then, like, pan down. Looks like she's getting healed. Pan back up. <laughs> so ridiculous. I wish we had 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 more, or more footage so that we could have seen the whole fucking thing. Because we all worked really hard, you know. There were probably, like, 40 or 50 of us who worked on this thing. Between all of the extras and stuff, like, it would have it just been nice to have even stills of it.
2: That's such a bummer.
0: It is a bummer. We had, like, a bunch of Taekwondo kids who were playing our fucking flunkies and vampires and whatever, and that was always fun to watch them fighting and running that, and some of the more emotional scenes. I don't think that, like, Christian and Alicia kissed, but maybe they did. There was definitely, like, a... W- who will he choose thing, love triangle. I think that like got left over in this draft or this finished book. So I think that's all I got on this one. It was a weird summer. And if I ever find the poster that I made, I'll take a picture of it. All right. I think that's it for me.